What's good, devs? I want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. And if you could spare a moment of your time to leave a review or click subscribe or follow on your platform of choice, that would help these recommendation algorithms know that this is a show worth putting forward on other people's radars. As for me, I managed to sneak out over to New York City, check in on the family who I'm, I haven't seen since prior to the pandemic, and report that I managed to make it over and back COVID-free, thank goodness. Damn, New York City was looking mighty fine and sunny. It's rare that I get over around this time of year. I'm usually in like too hot for comfort and high humidity summer or super cold winters for the holidays. While I was there, I was put onto the hilarity in the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. Pure comedy, y'all. In more serious news, I've got to call out props to the countries who give their citizens freedom of choice. And kudos to employers out here like Amazon, who announced a new benefit that will pay for travel for non-life-threatening medical treatments, which include abortion. I personally was raised in a Catholic family and totally get the pro-life arguments, but seeing what it takes to carry and raise a kid in this world, I will tend to side with moms on having the ability to choose. Who saw that new Patterson Batman? I don't know, y'all. I love the source material, but did not enjoy the silver screen execution, unfortunately. With those current events out of the way, hit my music. On episode 32 of Out of Play Area, the Game Devs podcast, we sit down with Zach Mumbach and walk through his journey through this wild industry as he got started at EA in 2000 as a tester and worked his way up into production by 2005, working on The Simpsons, Godfather 2, Dante's Inferno, Dead Space 2 and 3, Army of Two, The Devil's Cartel, and Battlefield Hardline, on to where he did a brief stint at Crystal Dynamics, and now where he is today at The Wandering Band, where he's finally getting to flex his design talents on games like the Airborne Kingdom and whatever they're cooking up next. I learned about Zach solely from reading Press Reset by Jason Schreer. This was back when I was at EA, so I wanted to learn more and connect with him and learn about the history of the company and the teams I was currently working with. And I managed to reach out over Twitter and he hit me back and he said he was down. This interview was recorded on February the 16th this year, 2022. Coming to you from Bainbridge Island in Washington, please welcome Zach Mumbach. Let's fall the fuck out. Bienvenido, bienvenue. Welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast, a show by video game devs for game devs where the guests open up one-on-one -on -one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. They got their can, the mountains turn blue, they got the cold liner, they got the wide mouth top. You know, they went really hard on the gimmicks. I love that type of shit, to be fair, right? Anything that I could talk about or be in a commercial and experience it, you know, even... Yeah. Even all the shit that Mountain Dew did back yeah. in the day, like, yo, it's extra limey this time, or there were gamer <laughs> endorsements. Yeah, I, I could yeah. taste it. I could taste the Call of Duty in there. <laughs> mm. Tastes so good. Dude, I fucking love that. The Blue Mountain <laughs> thing that yeah. lets you see how, oh yeah, this one's cold. I want that one. Yeah. <laughs> the gimmicks. I'm a sucker for gimmicks. Uh, yeah, why not? Till the day I die. <laughs> how do I say your last name? Is it Moombach? It's mum, like quiet, you know, like be mum, mum, mum Bach. 
Zach Mombach. Yeah, the the story of that name. It's like a German name, and it's German. supposedly somehow related to like Bach, the composer. Yes, and then the quiet Bach, right? And Bach, I think, is like stream or river or something. But anyway, not actually my birth last name. I picked this bad boy up, Mumbach. Wait, wait, you changed your name? Yeah, yeah, I changed my last name when I was like five. You know, it was me and my mom, and then she got married to my dad, but not my like biological father. Yeah. But my dad, the guy that raised me, and his last name was Mumbach. And so when she married him, she took his last name. And then they waited because I was like a baby. They waited until I was like in kindergarten or first grade or something. What do you want to do? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll roll with the last name. Sure. Okay, you got to pick your own adventure. I have two brothers and they were going to have the last name. My mom had the last name. So it's like, they left it up to me, you know, pretty young age to decide something like that. But I was like, <laughs> yeah, they will roll with that. Whatever. doesn't matter. And not often in life you get to pick your last name. Giving you ownership at that young age must have created a bug in you. Yeah, it was, it was funny because it's not like, so you know the, um, what is Gamescom? Yes, the so one Gamescom in Cologne. Yeah, as in Cologne. And so when I go to Gamescom, Cologne, they're always like Mumbach, but they say it like all German, you know, Mumbach. Mumbach. <laughs> you know, I don't speak any German. As a matter of fact, I'm no German. I'm 0% German, right? I'm not, his side of the family is German, right? Yeah. And they're always like, oh, you got it. Like there's some graveyard full of like ancient Mumbachs over there. There's a town called Mumbach, all this shit. I'm just like, I don't know about any of that. So not in your blood. Nah, but it's my last name. I like it. Last name. You, you chose to inherit some of it. Yeah. Some of the lore. Yeah, I'll take that. Some of the lore. Yeah, I mean, you're already kind of cheating your own destiny, playing RPGs at a young yeah. age. Yeah. Right? Select your name. Back in the day, we were limited to what? Four characters or something like that. So, you know, dope. what's funny is they changed my middle name also at the same time. Oh, damn. I don't know why. So my middle, my old middle name and my old last name, which I won't say what they are. Because that, that's my alias. Your gamer tag? No, my gamer tag is Zaculon. But like if I'm in an RPG, if I need, or like specifically I like sports games. So if I make like a character in a sports game, like UFC or Madden or NHL or something, I'll use that name. Okay. Or if like I ever need to like go on the run, you know, I'll use that ah, name. Okay. Okay. We'll keep yeah. that off the record. Yeah. We'll keep it off the record. Yeah. Hey man, I got to take a moment to yeah. cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Welcome to the show. I think. You inspired me. I went and grabbed a, a Rainier. I haven't drank a Rainier in quite a while. Yeah, I'm drinking Coors Light. So we're going with the cheap, watered down beer today. Just to let the listeners know what to expect. How, That's what's the, the vibe. How this show's going. Yes, sir. <laughs> and that's good. Ah, quenches the thirst. It's refreshing. Yeah. It's like water with bubbles. Yeah. It's almost like those fancy seltzer water. What are they called, man? The spiked water? Uh, White Claw. Yeah, White Claw is yeah. a popular one. Yeah. Oh, this is White Claw before Yeah, exactly, White man. Claw. I was there before, man. I had to go all the way back to like the 70s or whenever they started coming out with this. Just coming back in a new name. <laughs> I found that Rainier, right? You, you you pick it up and I found that it's not even made in Washington anymore. Ooh. That's what that's that's what the internet told me. I got to wow. gotta fact check myself on yeah. that. But it's all that. I was like, man. It's a major accusation. You want to make sure before you yeah. throw that out there. <laughs> For people that don't know, I came across you from reading a book The Jason Schreer wrote Press Reset, and I'm reading that over the break. And I get to the chapter that talks about, I guess it was Star Wars 1313 or... No, it was, uh, it was called Ragtag, and it, was, Ragtag. I mean, it didn't have like a release name yet. That's just kind of what we were calling it internally. And that's the one with Amy Henning at the helm. Yeah, and that was at, at Visceral, Visceral Games. At Visceral, yes. yes. R.I.P. Visceral. And that was based out of, is it Redwood? 
what they call it? They call it ears, right? EA Redwood Shores. Yeah, it was EA Redwood Shores. So like really Visceral was a studio that had been around since the beginning of EA. They just rebranded it to Visceral. But before Visceral, it used to be the studio that did all the like Lord of the Rings, James Bond, like all the a lot of big licenses, licenses. were there, you know. Tiger Woods was there for a long time. Madden was way back in the day originally there, right? So before Tiburon? They had like all these franchises that they would like send out eventually right but the original madden was in the in the bay area in redwood city yeah is redwood shores then ea studio number one is that main hq like yeah yeah it, it, it used to be like a different building in the mm. neighborhood i live right there so like it was around when i was a kid that's why i know all this stuff oh shit they used to be in like a different building like maybe like two miles away while they were i guess while they were building that campus or whatever but yeah, yeah. the main headquarters is there in redwood city redwood shores which is like a little subsidiary of redwood city i guess and that's like kind of where the original like ea game studio was at yeah okay so you live nearby yeah i mean people got to read this i'm telling people they got to go read this shit and i'm going to give them a taste but it's legendary because as i understand it you just walk in to the studio looking for a job you're just like yo i'm here for a job give me a job yeah i mean the full story is that i knew about it its existence like i was like as a teenager i had a job and i worked at this place it was like a video arcade <laughs> it was called fighter town usa we had these like hydraulic jet planes that would like they were all networked together this is like the 90s before i mean i guess kind of when online games were starting to come into play but it was like a big deal and people would come there it was right in the middle of silicon valley and people would come there and uh and play this and so anyway long story long a guy that was like a regular at the arcade told me about hey like sony and ea are right here like we yeah. were talking about video games and how much i love video games or whatever yeah and he's like you know you could work for one of them as a tester he had worked at ea as a tester i think he was like a programmer or something but before he had worked there as a tester and he was like you know when you work there you get your own playstation and they have showers there and a cafeteria like that's how he said it you know and i'm like in senior in high school, right? I'm like, that sounds amazing. Showers. You got, you got food, you got a place to clean up and you got yeah. your game. Think about that though, right? It's like, you're appealing to like the mentality of like, I'm just going to eat game and once in a while, take a shower all at this place, you know? Yeah. And make money and make money, man. Like, so I rolled in there. I just rolled in there. I was like, oh, tester. Cool. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I looked him up online or maybe I looked on the box and it said like the address. That's true. Yeah. That's true. The little publisher address. <laughs> so I got on like Yahoo Map. MapQuest. MapQuest, whatever it was at the time, you know. What'd you wear? I think I had like a collared shirt and I'm pretty sure I went untucked. <laughs> it was probably not the move. <laughs> at this point now, I just graduated high school, you know. Okay. And this was, by the way, like my plan. Like I told my uh, geometry teacher senior year, you know, he's like on me. Like, what are you going to, you know, because geometry is a sophomore class. I was struggling in math, dude. I'm not a programmer. Okay. He was like a cool guy, but he wanted, he was like on me, you know, like I wasn't going to go to college. I had like no plan. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to EA and like test these video games, man. They give you a PlayStation. They got showers, cafeteria. <laughs> he's like, dude. You know, he was trying to be cool, but he was sure. like, this is not going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. When I hear that, I hear a guy with a plan that's much more further along than a lot of people I knew when we were coming yeah. out of high school, right? Like I was lucky to be like, hey, I think I know the major I want to declare for college, right? And, and that was probably it. So for you to be like, yo, I know the place I'm going to work. I know why I want to work there. What was he saying? It, was it just because it was like, yo... No, not everybody can make games. Is that what it was? So I graduated high school in like 2000. There weren't like college. It wasn't necessarily like a clear career path. And so sure. 
I should also mention that like I was into like modding. Like we were we were me and my friends were like modding games and not in like some, you know, super sophisticated way, but like you know, there were some games Duke Nukem 3D specifically where you could go in and like replace assets and levels and do a little like rearranging of assets, like do some like light level design, mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know? First of all, I think a lot of people have this mentality that if you're going to make games, you need to be a programmer. And so he's like, bro, you're in barely making it through geometry and you're a senior. Is it that you're an artist, you could draw, yeah, or you could program. Yeah, there's all one too. I, I think he just had this mentality that where are you going to go to college? You know, I think the typical thing, right, is like the reaction I got from most people because everybody's going to college, you know, and they're like, sure. what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go do this. And I had no idea how to do it. I just rolled in there. It was so dumb. It, but it's audacious. And I love the fact, again, you had a plan, right? Like, yo, I'm yeah. going to work for Apple. I'm going to go work for NASA. Yeah, I'm going to make games gonna go work at ea it's right in the hometown it's accessible and in 2000 it's still kind of a well-kept secret i wish i remembered or knew that that guy that told me about it he was probably 25 or 26 you know and i was 17 man and he was a really nice like when i think back on those times it's like that dude was really cool man he was this customer at this place i worked and he sent me on a path before he said that like i never would have thought about that like my original plan was I'm going to be the manager of this arcade. You know, it's not as good of a plan. (laughs) (laughs) What do they call it, man? The hero cyclist, like the help from beyond or whatever. Yeah. They kind of put this mysterious spirit in your path at this specific moment in time to set you on the path that you're destined to be in kind of thing. Shout out to that dude. I'll pour some out for that guy that came in. on Twitter if if you hear this. (laughs) (laughs) So you go in to EA. You got a college shirt untucked. Yeah. You did send in an application. You had an interview lined up. What, what, what was that? No, I, what my idea was is that like, hey, I'm going to go there and ask for an application in person. Up until this point, because I had worked all throughout my teenage years. I'd have a job since I was 13, right? Okay. And traditionally, like people now, kids now probably think this is insane. It sounds crazier than it really was though, because traditionally in like the 90s, That's not that crazy. Like if you wanted a job at like McDonald's, you would go into McDonald's and talk to the manager of McDonald's and get an application and fill it out and go in there for an interview or whatever. So that was my mindset. Like I'm going to go in there and there's going to be like a front desk person. I don't understand like how big the difference, you know? So I'm like, there's going to be a front desk person to say, hey, I want this job. I'm going to apply for this job. And they're like, here's the application. And maybe there'll be a manager around. They're like, hey, nice to meet you. And I'll Mm -hmm. make a good impression. And like, that's how, how, or there's a lot of stories, like maybe from our parents' generation of like, I walked into that office and I introduced myself to the manager and, sure. you know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And so that's what I like had in my mind was okay. like that it wasn't that crazy, you know? Like I think now it sounds crazier, right? Because what ends up happening is I walk in there, I'm like looking as spiffy as I can and I'm like, hey, I'm here. I want a QA job. I'm here for the QA job. And they're like, yeah, go right in there. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I just roll it and it's a big old conference room with like, they hire QA and like huge batches of people. And so there's like, I don't know. I've seen this room. Like, obviously I was part of the hiring process later as I worked there. I've seen this room have 20 people. I've seen it have like 50 people. Like literally they're, they're, they're starting 50 people in one day. Right. I don't remember how many people it was, but it was a lot. It was 20 or more probably. Um, and I just sit down in this room full of people and they're going around with a checklist, talking to people, you know, like, and giving out paperwork. Yeah. And they come to me and they're like, what's your name? And I'm like, blah, blah, and they're like, I'm like, not on their list. And they're like, oh, you're not on the list. They just give me the paperwork. <laughs> it's not, you know, the, the point is, is like the, there's an interview before you get to this part. 
that like I just circumvented because I didn't. I just rolled in there. You didn't apply. Yeah, yeah. I didn't apply. I didn't know. Right. So let me let me let me step back there. So this is a group of people that probably already been vetted. They went through the phone screen. Yes. They applied. And they says, came okay. in and had an interview and did like a little test and everything. Okay. So then it's like, hey, Monday, you know, May fifteenth, come in at this time, and we're gonna, you know, you're gonna go through your onboarding. Yes. And so you, as like the kismet and stars align, came in with an initial onboarding team. So yes. the security guard sees you or the receptionist sees you. And they're like, oh yeah, you must be part of this onboarding day yes. one starting class. Yes. Go right in there. <laughs> they're not checking names. They're like another one of you go in there, right? And then Fantastic. what happens with the onboarding is like you're filling out paperwork. By the way, when I'm 18, like you don't understand any of this. You think everything's so official and like it's a corporation yeah. and like everything's on security camera and some guys behind the curtain watching it all. And like, yeah, if, if they're telling <laughs> you to do this, go here, sit here. You got people checking you over. Like, all right, this is the process, right? So like two hours later, I have a badge, like a badge with my picture <laughs> on it. And I'm 18, man, and it's 2000. And so like. Maybe now that's normal, like having a badge with your picture on it that scans these doors. So you got access to everything. At the time, man, that was like some Star Trek crazy shit. Like I have this badge with my picture on it. And I scan it on the door and it unlocks all these doors and I can like walk around this place. Bro, tell, right? tell me like, you came home with that thing and like everybody was just like high-fiving you and hugging yes. you. You're like, yeah, you, you official. It, for sure. And honestly, like later, like maybe two months later, I, I flowed like at least eight or nine other people in there, you know, like, <laughs> I, like, the put on the put on, right? Because it was QA. What ended up being was QA. And like the way it works is they hire a bunch of people on temporary contracts and there's like a training period. And if you don't cut it after the training period of like a month or whatever, they just let you go anyway. Okay. So like. You know that they're vetting out, but you used to. I still had to like prove myself. I I got on a team. I wrote up a bunch of bugs. You know, like I I did a good job, right? But a lot of people, I did get a lot of people there that didn't make it. Had hey, no business in there. There you go. <laughs> that has, that says something about you, right? Yeah. Like it's not just anybody can walk up the street and they can walk in and maybe survive one day, but you know to hold on, you got to be busting your ass. You got to be actually doing the job and keep that analytical eye and, and good yeah. writing practices or writing acumen. Mm -hmm. What did you learn on the job versus like, what did you just already have? Well, I ended up doing QA for five years. I didn't okay. really know much about making video games other than like how to swap out art files, right? I figured out like, oh. From your modding. Yeah, modding, like really basic. Like I would say like, really junior level design task type stuff, you know, like go place this object here, you know, like that kind of thing. So over the time I was in QA, which was five years, I learned everything about how to make a video game. Like everything. Yeah, for sure. Cause you can see at EA, like it's great. Like the, the QA teams, at least where I was at, which the head was the headquarters is like the QA teams are really integrated with the development teams. And so okay. if you end up working with a development team, they're cool people. What ship games did you QA for? The first one ever was James Bond, The World Is Not Enough, which was on the PlayStation 1. And it also came out on the Nintendo 64. I mostly worked on the PlayStation 1 version. That was probably the one after GoldenEye, right? Like yeah, Golden was. Eye was. Yeah, yeah. Because it was yeah. like, I think I remember it was like, oh yeah, yeah, anything James Bond after GoldenEye, I want to play. And then yeah. playing it and be like, oh, it's different, it's different. Yeah. Yep. After that, I did a Knockout Kings game. I did a couple Sims expansion packs. I did a Shogun Total War. I did Majestic, which was an all online EA.com game. 
what um yeah it's a really weird like augmented reality it's funny if you look back at it now it might do okay in this current time but it wasn't it was it was a weird one i did a whole bunch of sim stuff so i did like all the sims handheld games like the sims busting out the sims 2 herb sims in the city right so i worked at maxis for a while i did battlefield 2 i was an assistant lead on battlefield 2 in qa man there are a few there are a few more you know i did it for five years so there's probably yeah, a few more yeah, but that, those dude, are probably the lot, big ones man. yeah that's a lot like i know a few people that may, might have one ship game in five years right, you know right. what i'm saying that's I mean, huge. there's the advantage of it is that you see in QA, you're on it for the last six months. And so what would happen for me is like I'd ship two games a year, you know, where it's like I'm on a game for six months because at the time EA was just shipping out so many games. This is back when you could make a triple A AAA game with like 20 people. That's right, man. Yeah. You're talking about like, like 20 million or, or 18 million or 10 million, you know, triple A games, right? This is and like so, Xbox One, PS. Yes. PS2. Not Xbox One, the original Xbox. PS2 just came out. It was brand new. It was the new hotness. I, by the way, fuck the damn Xbox naming conventions. Right? Uh, they're terrible. When I mean to say the original Xbox and I say Xbox One, that's incorrect. They're terrible. Because <laughs> it's actually like the third Xbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks for correcting me. Yeah. OG Xbox with the Duke controller right. and PS2 games. Uh, you're shipping them by about two a year, learning how games are made i love it like because i have to tip my hat to you zach because i feel like you were paying attention you're in there taking notes learning talking to people developing that blueprint to, to then you move into lead and management how does that change it up for you well yeah i'd always wanted to be a designer so i did have in my mind once i was in there like i had this idea of like i need to actually figure out what a designer does because i i know it's not what i think it is right like okay. it's something similar to what i think it is but you know what i mean it's like a designer designs a game okay cool but what does that mean like day to day hour to hour minute to minute and someone right like what is the actual job did you get to connect with developers like in your yeah. day to day okay yeah for sure because like you know there just ends up being like interactions for whatever, you know, you're writing up bugs. They need to see it. You know, it's like, I, I would like spe specialize in like hard to find like real specific oh, bugs, you know, where right. you need to come down and look at this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> get that FaceTime. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see your face. You got to see this happen on my screen. I can't even write it down. I can't even describe it. Yeah. And, and what I found out while I was working is like, honestly, that like maybe like I was more suited for production, which at EA, production is 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 really more design adjacent than in mm -hmm. a lot of other companies because EA has this role called a development director, right? So at every other, I'm not, I shouldn't say every other because I've I've not worked at that many companies, but from my understanding, producer at most companies is like the person that does the budgeting and the scheduling and the managing of the people and also runs the meetings and takes notes and makes sure that all those notes get communicated out to everybody and all that. I agree. I agree. Yeah. They, they don't have a hand in the creative. Right. Whereas at EA and a few other places, producers are heavily involved in the creative. They, the producers are less involved in the schedule. Yeah. There's these development directors that do the schedule and some of the more like management type stuff. And the producers more focused, they're still in the meetings and they're still the ones taking notes and making sure all the work gets done and coordinating a lot. 
but they're also like they're design adjacent they're very you know like connected with design and in this the idea is supposed to be that the producer is the one like in charge of quality like hey this is good Mm. and so if you're the designer working on something i'm i'm the producer working on it my job is supposed to be to support you and to make sure you have the things you have and if your design isn't up to snuff to kind of like push you to like hey man this part needs work or whatever and that's a tricky job do you have like veto power to to straight up cut content as a producer a lot of times yeah that's production is making that decision you try to make it with the rest of the team my feeling on like a good producer is that a good producer is an advocate for the people around them they're really like an enhancer for everybody else it's not my design it's your design but i'm helping you get your design made right thanks for saying that man it makes it feel good right we feel like yeah an ally as opposed to like an antagonist kind of thing you actually the first game you got to work as a producer on was the simpsons yeah that's right i was a qa lead at maxis and what had happened was maxis used to be its own studio and ea like shut down the building and moved all of them to headquarters it's like a smart business move why are we paying rent in this other building let's just have you here at the headquarters the facilities are great Totally. But it was like awkward for us. Like I worked at the Maxis studio. And so for us, it's like awkward coming into this like different environment where we're like this separate team or whatever. Long story short, they gave a bunch of Maxis people. They said, hey, we're going to have you guys make the Simpsons game. It oh, won't wow. be Maxis, it'll be EA, but like, you know, break off and, and you know, do something not Maxis. There's, as you can imagine, like at Maxis, after a while, there are a lot of people there. They're like, yeah, I love The Sims. I love SimCity. But like, man, I've been working on this for a long time. Are you need a breath of creative fresh air. Yeah. Right. And so they came to me and they said, hey, would you want to be a producer on The Simpsons game? I had had experience working with an external developer that they were going to use for the Nintendo DS version. You know, I, I was like just a really well suited for the job. And so that's how I moved over. Yeah. Because you had relationships working with the outsourcing team that they were going to bring in. I actually lived there. They were up here. They were up in the Seattle area. They were called Gryptonite. Yeah, I know Gryptonite. Yeah, so it was Gryptonite. And so I actually came up here and stayed up here for a whole summer. At that point, I was really doing a producer work, but I was still in QA, you know. Before having it in your title kind of thing. Yeah, and I did that for a long time. That's been the curse of my career is that like I always do the next job. I'm not good at asking for like raises or promotions. I don't care, to be honest with you. I'm trying to make a good game. And so if I see something that needs to be done, I'll just go do it. That's kind of the hack, though. Like a lot of people are always pushing for like, how do I get to the next level? Let's do it. Just do the fucking job. Yeah, yeah. You see a job that needs to be done, do it. Show people that you're doing it, making their lives easier, filling this gap. And then it'll be a natural no-brainer more often than not to be like, hey, you're doing the producer job, here you're producer. Hey, you're doing the tech design job, mm-hmm. here we have a tech design slot. You want it, it's yours kind of thing. Yep, 100%. Dope. So you are living in Seattle, managing Grip tonight as a producer on The Simpsons. What, was it all the SKUs? No, they just did the Nintendo DS. So they were like handheld. I think that's the name, right? Grip, like Grip tonight. Like uh, grip the handheld, I guess. They, they did like, they were handheld specialists. Like they did like GBA, Nintendo DS, PSP, right? Yeah. That was back when, you know, before this is pre-Switch times, right? Like handheld yeah. was like yeah, a whole yeah. thing. Yes. And so I worked on that and it was like back and forth. You know, I lived in the Bay Area at the time. So it was like, I would come up here, stay up here for a while, go back down there. I'm always curious, right? Because I've never been in that capacity where it's like, 
I'm at a studio, but I get to like be in an outsourcing studio. Are you in there in person? Are you all there just kind of virtually? Describe to me what it's like producing and managing an outsource house. Yeah. So the way it kind of works is that at the beginning, you settle on like a contract and then you, you, you basically detail out these milestones and the milestones are like, Hey, on this date, you're going to have this. It's very detailed out. Like this level is going to work. This character is going to have these animations. This is pages of details of what each milestone is composed of. Milestones are like what? Two, three months, six. Yeah. Whatever. It depends on the project, but like three months, every three months usually. Yeah. So there's like four milestones a year. You know, in the end, like what happens is these milestone dates come up and the mechanism at play in the office is like finance comes to production and says, hey, did they achieve this milestone? Yes or no. And if you say yes, they send them a check. And if you say no, they don't. Mm. Okay, that sounds really easy, right? But like it's the producer's (laughs) job to like really track all the things that are in that milestone and work with the developer to make sure that they hit these milestones. You don't want to like tell a developer oh, you didn't hit it. You know, like that's not a cool thing. You don't want to do that. Like that means people might not get paid that month. It's not a good time to be that person. And so you're really trying to help them hit their milestones. And like, you know, it puts you in a weird position, right? Like, like I've been in a position where there's milestone where like they didn't hit it, but they did get some other stuff done where I just mm-hmm. said, yeah, they hit it, you know, like pay them, right? But like they didn't. Shit. It's a hard thing to manage because like, well, games change as you're making them. Yeah. And so what we thought was like a big important thing, you know, when we signed this contract isn't necessarily an important thing anymore. And so you hopefully want to work with people that are just cool like that. And you don't have to constantly modify contracts, right? That makes sense in the ever-changing landscape of making games that contracts usually sign and they're ironclad. It's like, well, actually, it's like some gray area that you can kind of grade things by. As you were working with Grip and I getting Simpsons done... What do you do? Because essentially, you're like an outsider working with the team, right? But then you also kind of control their money. What advice do you have for people trying to build that relationship and strengthen it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's why I would would go in person. And like, I think that the main thing is having the focus on like, hey, we are trying to accomplish a goal together. This isn't adversarial Mm -hmm. in any way, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that it's just too easy to get into like, something doesn't go right. It's so-and-so is an idiot or what, you know, it's yeah. just easy to like, points and, and for sure, like the other thing about like dealing with that is like, you're going to deal with like different cultures depending on where the studio is yeah. or who's working there or whatever, right? There's all sorts of different personalities and cultures and all these things you're going to deal with. You know, I've worked with studios in, in other countries as well, right? And so it's like, you're trying to help. You're trying to yeah. all do the same thing. The main biggest thing in all of it is giving people the benefit of the doubt, like not, doing the thing we just get mad at me you know like assume the worst about people or assume oh they didn't get this done these morons or that you know lazy lazy is like the worst one the bus right like yeah it it makes sense that like if they don't finish their job it's essentially your fault but you know i think when you throw it into the fire it's easy to throw other people under the bus oh it's them let's work with somebody else next time so the other part of this is like we're playing the game that they're making or we're making this game together and we're giving them all this feedback do this do that do this do that do this do that and so there's a valid argument to be made of like hey we're doing all this and that instead of these things and so you're the reason we're behind but you're saying like hey no those things you had to do otherwise this game isn't going to be good Mm -hmm. you know the agreement we're trying to make a good game you know (laughs) fuzzy area good yeah right that's tricky because for some people it is just work and specifically when you hire an external developer they might not be as passionate about what you're doing as you are they're just trying to get the work done it's you know nine to five monday the friday like just get it it done that gets tricky you know 
one of the projects you're most proud of is Dante's Inferno. Yeah. I have that game prominently featured at the top of my queue to be like, yo, one day I'm going to get on this. I have my EA Play account. It's like the first one on the list. (laughs) <laughs> to to fire up and play because on paper the setting is fantastic the game style right which is i think it's meant to be like a god of war yeah style game was like oh yeah give me more of that hell yeah tell me about how it was getting that thing off the ground getting that thing out the door and, and when i say that that's like one of the more proud ones i do like the game but it's also like the circumstance you know it's like i know what went into making it and the circumstances around making it and so sometimes like I think that game has a Metacritic of like seventy something. Yeah, right? pretty, like hey, it's, it's good. It's not yeah. great, but it's good. Like I would agree with that. It's not doing anything crazy, innovative, or over the top. It's not the game of the year, but it's a good game. Like it's it worth looks playing. solid. It looks solid. Yeah, it's a solid game. It played the way you wanted it to play. Right, and so I, I think that like just the the challenges in making that were were what was cool about working on that you know we we made that in like two years we made that game really quickly that game runs at 60 frames a second the whole time that's nuts ground up fresh ip probably new team yeah two years no way it was a lot of people from the simpsons game actually like that's a completely different game yeah well because it is like 3d platforming you know what i mean it's like okay what were we doing in the simpsons game it was 3d platforming totally yeah Yeah, yeah, it's the same but right. the combat, right? The combat. The combat's whole- very different. And and I you know, they just had like really good combat design and, and and really good engineers. At that time, that studio, like the engineering horsepower at that studio was pretty oh. amazing. Like we were on our own tech, that was our engine, and we had like some heavy hitters. Yeah, you blow my mind to think the Simpsons 3D platformer is under the hood, it's very similar to There's which definitely ship- stuff in there, yeah. And there's probably it. stuff from like Godfather in there, you know, because mm. like, that was another thing that that studio did. And we were really good at like that engine, man. I really, that was one of the things when we went, everybody went to Frostbite and I like Frostbite and I, and I understand like as a company, why you would want all your teams on one engine, all that like shared tech, but uh, man, I miss working on that, that engine we had. Did it have a name? I guess we called the tools like Neo, but no, we didn't, it didn't really, because no, we weren't trying to like, you know, sell it or Branding anything. Branding wasn't just, a big thing. Yeah, it was just, yeah, hey, this, this is our this engine is. that we used. Yeah. Speaking of making the jump to Frostbite, your first time on a Frostbite project. Our, our first Frostbite project was, I guess Battlefield? It, was, it was Battlefield Hardline. I had gone to Montreal for a year to help them ship Army of Two, and that was on Frostbite. So that was actually my first experience with it. With Devil's Cartel? Yep. I think I know a bunch of people in Montreal that worked on their game. Were you out in Montreal in, yeah. in, on yeah, the I floor? Yeah, I went there for a year. Yeah. Was there like a Reed Schneider or like a Alex Hutchinson or they like They left already. They worked on the second one. This is the third one. This is the third one. Yeah. Oh, okay. The second one is what? The 40th day? Yeah. That there was yeah. Devil's Cartel. Oh, yeah. shit. Okay. 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 So I, they had like, and look, I don't know all the details, but like that was their game, their franchise. When you say there, we talking about the guys you just mentioned. Okay. My understanding, right? Yeah. Like that Reed specifically was on it from the first one. If I'm wrong about that, I apologize. But that's my understanding. Mm. Something had happened there where, like, they left. They all like all that leadership left, and so they went through like a bunch of EPs. By the time I got there, they were on like their fourth EP. You know how what that must be like is like, oh, you don't have your like tone setter. It was kind of like an emergency. Hey, this game needs to ship. And the team has just been having all this turmoil and there's not really like a lot of like leadership installed there. And and so 
for me, it was like a chance to go there and be in a much more elevated leadership position than I was at Visceral in that like, I went in, you know, I hate to say like, cause I don't like, I don't see myself as like a boss or like power authority. It's not that it's just like, I went in there and like had a lot of influence on the way that we were going to ship that game. I went, I was sent in there to like close that game out. You were a closer. That, that's the thing, yeah. right? There's people in this industry that are known as closers and are sent to get a game out the damn door. Right. And so that was my role on Army is to go be the closer. And like, is there discussions ahead of time to be like, hey, projects in, I don't even know the word, right? I wouldn't say turmoil, right? But it's just kind of like doesn't have direction or it's kind of spinning, right? Like, hey, we need you to go help get this thing on a trajectory to finishing what conversations are happening at hq to kind of set that up for sure we knew that there were some problems and then because we're at headquarters there's like big meetings that happen where there's like executive views and stuff and because we're the studio there a lot of the teams that come through they come through and they like they meet us you know yeah. like and maybe sometimes they need some help with something and so they had like a senior producer had come in for like one of these meetings and like, let's just say it wasn't impressive, man. Like to the point where like, I started like running my mouth a little bit and, and me and my buddy, like not to him, but like, sure, you know, we have like the GM of the studio sat like right next to us, like, and he's very approachable. It was a mm -hmm. very like casual vibe in that studio, you know? Meaning it's accessible. Like it doesn't matter what your role is. You, everybody can Yeah. You could just talk, go talk to him, open door. right? You could just go talk. It's an open door policy. Everybody's sitting out there. There's no offices. Everybody's in cubes. And I start, you know, me and my buddy who was like a noted like shit talker, you know, <laughs> we were like, dude, that doesn't look good, man. What the fuck? Like they need to get that shit together. Like they're not running that project right. Like, is that who's running that project like whoa that must be in trouble no wonder it's in trouble those kind of comments right that's always surprising to me right and i mean i've lived through it and working on sequels and things like that but it's a, hey it's an established ip you've already done two of them you know kind of the core pillars why is it so off the mark right <laughs> exactly <laughs> especially like dude this is the third one like come on yeah. this is not that hard anyway like you know i got pulled into a conversation where it was like look we need someone to go there and and close this thing out you've had experience working with that studio before because i went there during dead space 2 because they helped us with dlc during dead space 2 and i was the producer that managed that okay so i already Again, had like some had, relationships relationship and yep. you over there calling out to be like yo this thing could be better and they're like all right well you're the one better. complaining right yeah, yeah. go well, fix you it go do it better yeah which i like that let's do that okay cool 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 so you knew you knew the studio you work with them before on dead space 2 a big fan of dead space i'm looking forward to that remake yeah me too but you go out to montreal so you, you had been there before and i lived there for like brief like four weeks you know like i stayed there for four weeks i think was the longest and then another time i went there for two weeks what time of the year was it out of curiosity oh, yeah so like <laughs> the good time summer right? Ooh, yeah. the best time yeah yeah. yeah 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 so it was cool right and it, dude that by the way like montreal like if anybody's looking for somewhere to go in the summer montreal is one of the best summer cities God. in the world montreal is great go to montreal yeah, I love it, right? Especially where we're both Americans and we go up to Montreal and it's just like life-changing, eye-opening, yeah. damn near religious experience, right? Just yep. the culture, the vibe, 
the life, the way people just hang, just do things. Yeah. So I was into it. Like I was into the idea of like, oh yeah, go up to Montreal, you know, like. Especially coming from the West Coast. Yeah. And I'd been there my whole life. And I, at this point I'd been at EA for, I don't know, 10 years, you know, like a while. And I'm married and, and you know, they're going to like rent us an apartment. My wife gets to come and she's kind of like in between things. This is before we had kids. So it was like just a good, I just turned 30, you know, like. I, f- I forget the name of the location that Visceral was at. Is it like. Place des Arts or something like that, or yeah, like Place des Arts or whatever. Yeah, I can't pl- pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, so in English, if you read it, yeah. it's like Place, place des, des Arts. arts. Yeah. Well, you know, if you want to put the little twang on it, mm-hmm. uh, Place des Arts, and it's a yeah. metro stop and everything. And you can kind of walk to Old Montreal, which is kind of like the really cool touristic hub area with a lot of history. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. really cool. It's a great city. I miss it, honestly. Like by the end, I was ready to come home. You know, sure. of course, but now like that's been a while, yeah. you know, I, I would like to go back Be to long Montreal. Forward. How do you even approach this team that's like, kind of like has the capability to make a great game because they've done it before Yeah, and you're coming in to help them like you've always done, right? But like, yo, I am aligned with you. I want to make a good game. That's all that matters. However the yeah. hell we get there, let's get there. How do you approach that? What do you, what do you set out? This was an interesting one because it was a time boxed thing. It was like, you're not going to make a 90. This isn't going to be the best game ever. Like you have exactly one year or I think it was even 11 months, right? Okay. You have 11 months to get this thing done. There was an end date and it had to be for like whatever reasons that are not, that are beyond my control. And so it's like, okay, so you get, I get there and then it's like, figure out what we have, figure out which of it's good, which of it's not, who's making the good stuff. Okay. And then I'm, I'm on them first thing. Oh, you're S- Steven. Steven is the designer of this level. Oh, this level is good. Let me go holler at Steven. Steven, you want to go to lunch, dude? On me. Let's go to lunch, Steven. Hey, man, your level is good. What's up? How are you doing that? Who are you working with? What are your struggles? You know, it's like, just get right into like, okay, figure out who the best people are. Yeah. How can I like empower them more? Can this guy do more? Is he, is he happy? You know, okay, now figure out. And then from them, I'm going to just hear from the conversations where his pain points are. Mm-hmm. I go, I figure out where those pain points are. Who else are they dealing with? Are they having the same pain points? Soon enough, I run into Vikan, the technical artist on the project. Okay, once I have this, I have everything. Because he knows who's checking in everything. He knows who's touching everything. And he knows who's good and who's not good. Ah, uh, that's true. TAs are usually always having to touch things after the fact to be yep. like, optimize, this is overloaded, this takes too much memory, this is sloppy. Yeah, this is causing crashes. I should clarify, at this point in time, there's kind of like two big aspects of designing a game. There's like all the mechanical design of the game, and then mm-hmm. there's the level design. Right. Like, yeah, and I guess you could also say, hey, there's also like special moments that aren't necessarily like they're in a level, but it's not the normal mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. What do we call those, man? I don't even know what you call those. It was like cinematic QT. We used to call them epic moments at Visceral. But my focus at this time is on getting the levels for this game made. And specifically, the levels are being done in Montreal, which is like half the game. Wait, it was co-developed then? There was like a few studios doing it? Or just other studios helping with some of the levels. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like figuring out who's doing what, who's, how are they making it good? And then just plotting out how we're going to get the rest done. Right. And the technical artist, when it comes to like levels and who's making the levels, they're going to know who's, who's who. And so Mm -hmm. once I knew him, you know, it's like, I'm going to take this guy out to lunch. I'm going to figure out what's up. He's going to tell me everything I need to know as far as like what all the pain points are in the project. Now I just need to go eliminate all those pain points. And if you're on the other side of that, 
no one turns down free lunches, man. You know, they say mm -hmm. there's no such thing as a free lunch, but if you're doing your job, producers come by and be like, yo, let's go out to lunch. You're like, hell yeah, man. Well, in, in this particular case, let's be honest, they don't like me by default. Mm -hmm. I'm this American guy coming in to their place in this position where it's like, what is this guy here for? Odds are you got to know something's up. You got to have a temperature, a pulse of the project to know that, hey, things could be better. And here right. comes this guy from HQ. I don't know why, Zach, but for whatever reason, anytime somebody comes from the mothership, yeah. you're just kind of always kind of walking on eggshells. They be like, oh, shit. Right. Oh, shit sums up. Right. What it is, is like someone sends an email. Zach is going to be here and he's going to be here to help and support, blah, blah, blah. And it's like all this corporate talk. But what they say is like, oh, here's the closer. Okay. And this guy's going to be some ruthless, mean, oh. yelling, you know, hurry up, all that kind of guy. Right. Yeah. And so like everybody's guard is up. Right. Like everybody's like, Ooh, what's up with this guy? And so if you can take people out to like, just take people out to lunch, I know it sounds so simple to, to let their guard down, right. To ease yeah. up. Like, yo, yo, I'm, I'm not here to kill anybody. Yeah. yeah. I'm here to help. I work for you. Mm -hmm. The easiest, best part about this too, is even if there are people that are working in the studio and there's some kind of political things going on about who's going to do what, and who's going to be the boss or whatever, nothing to do with me. I'm here to do this. Then I'm going back home. Like I'm yeah. not here to replace anybody or like run this studio or any of that you know mm -hmm. like i'm just here to like try to help you guys make this good what are your problems okay cool let me go see if i can help you with some of your problems and as soon as i can take one thing off of your list of problems now you're my friend yeah now i'm yeah. kind of showed up and helped you with something right oh yeah you're making my life easier why wouldn't i appreciate that and continue helping you help us right for sure there's going to be conversations where it's like hey I've been playing your level a bunch. Check this out. Like, I don't think this is good or, the, you know, I'm not going to say like that, but like, hey, sure. what's going on here? What Every single time in my experience, good designers are, of course, receptive to that. That's the job is taking feedback and extrapolating from it how to make the experience less frictional. I'm not the type of guy anyway. When I give feedback, I'm not like, it should be this. I'm more like, hey, I feel this. Yeah. And I think this is why or whatever. If they ask for a suggestion on what I do, then sure. But like, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to do their job. It's just more like, hey, spend some time over here. Like just over here, spend some time. This could use some more love. That makes yeah. a world of difference, man. The, the key choice words and language, that you, especially, yo, Zach, we haven't even touched on the impact that it has being in a, in a different world, different culture, right? The way that they're used to talking to people and the way we're used to talking to people. There can be this language barrier thing, yeah. right? Like. You mean something a certain way, but it comes out or it gets interpreted a completely different way. That came up a couple times because I only speak English. A lot of people there speak French. And so like what would happen is I'm in a meeting where like we're talking about how to solve some problem and some people start talking French and then somebody else says, hey, you know, that's rude. You mm -hmm. guys talk in English. Mm -hmm. So my thing with that was like, you do, if you need to talk in French, yeah, do that because like maybe you can express something that's your thing, like solve the problem however you want. What's the rudeness of it? Is that like, oh, they're talking another language, so they could be talking about me? I don't care. Well, <laughs> don't you're just not included. Care. They're they're yeah. excluding you, right? Like right. in this day and age of like inclusion and right. everybody has an equal seat at the table. And I get that, but I just made it really clear, like, hey, if you need to if you need to talk in French, that's cool with me. I'm not trying to like put that on anybody. Cool, you know? cool, cool. Shout out to the person that stood up for you though no, for sure just to set that precedent to be like yo keep in mind keep dude included he's here to help solve the problem and he doesn't speak the language it's an interesting like thing in montreal the whole language thing and like some people are really serious about it and you know they kind of get get upset 
I picked up a few things, right? You can't not pick up a few things if you live there long enough. And I love it, right? I'm with you on like, yo, man, express yourself however the heck it is most efficient to you. Just so long as it either solves the problem, moves the needle, or someone can break it down for me after the fact. Exactly. Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. And that's mainly what it is. It's like as if two engineers start going off in French, let them go. Yeah. When yeah. they figure it out and they can come back and tell me, we're going to solve the problem tomorrow or it's going to be Wednesday. Great. That's all I need to know. Dope. I, awesome, I, guys. Yeah, yeah. I'll call out too, man. A lot of people will always ask me to be like, yo, man, how the hell was it working in Montreal? How the hell did you do it? Was it tough with the language barrier and everything like that? And I say English is kind of the main language of yeah. game development. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like no matter what language you're saying, PlayStation, or Xbox in, right? Or Perforce or Unreal, it, it always comes out the same. It sounds the same. And you're able to do it. Yep. You're able to get shit done. That was like one of my most enjoyable years of my life, but also like one of the most important years of my life because like I lived in California my whole life. Like I'd never mm -hmm. done anything like that. It was like a really eye-opening experience, you know? That's dope that they let you bring out your, your wife. Yeah, a kid. You had a kid at this time. No, I didn't have a kid at the time. Okay. My dog. We brought our dog out. Hey, that's that's even harder. <laughs> <laughs> I think bringing a dog to Montreal is even harder than if you had a kid. Yeah, well, that's cool that EA made that happen. So you can kind of be more efficient at your job. Where you don't have to be on the phone, especially with the time difference. That makes it tough. Yep. You ship Army of Two. You get this shit out the door. Yeah. Compared to Dante's Inferno, in terms of the things you had to do and what ended up going out the door, better learn from it's just different right like yeah. i don't think the game is as good i think that the game is like it's compromised because like we were in a rush to get it done you know you said you had a year right yeah and it there. wasn't they didn't have much you know like okay. it was it was tough a lot of people had to like work really hard just to get that out and like it definitely it's not like an amazing game it's not terrible dante's is a better game i was in a very senior role it was like the most influence i've ever had was on army up to that point in my career and so okay. like that was like a big deal for me, like to be in this position where I went from like, I started at EA right after high school and I worked with the, a lot of people like the same people. And so I was always like the young guy, the funny guy, like, and so it like elevated me. You know what I mean? It was, it felt like I leveled up after army. Yeah. Cause you were entrusted to help this to close. Right. I think any, yeah. again, yeah, like not every role is created equal. You can be a producer, but depending on the point in production, you are, are a producer has different value. They send me out to a foreign country. They pay for a year of lodging. You know, they like rent me a car. They fly my wife and dog out there. They like pay for like my bills, you know, like so that they're sh like investing, not just what they pay me, but like mm -hmm. more like, so it's like, Hey, we think that this guy brings value. Otherwise you're not going to spend all that money. Right. And it's yeah. like, that's like a big, and then I delivered. I did my job really well. Like I did a really good job of that. Like, oh, you know, yeah. I came back and everyone was like, you did a good job, you know, which like, that feels good, you know? Fuck yeah, man. Shout to you. I got to ask about Battlefield Hardline. Yeah. Believe it or not, this was the first Battlefield I really sunk my teeth into just because it was, you know, single player narrative. Yeah. I had a really gritty story that anybody who watches Narcos, Miami Vice, Breaking Bad, any of those things, man, mm -hmm. can 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 relate to. I dug the entire narrative and I love the presentation of that game. Mm -hmm. And anytime I got stealth mechanics, I, I could not tell you how much I loved drop getting the drop on somebody, being like, freeze, right? And then fucking right. handcuffing yeah. them. I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
talk to me about that game. And I'm just, I'm geeking out right now, right? Like, uh, how, how was it working with, was that a pure visceral production? Was you, were you working in tandem with dice? Yeah. So that, um, it was mostly visceral. I mean, dice did work on it and some other studios helped out. You know how it is at EA. A lot of other Mm -hmm. people pitch in, but mostly it was, it was visceral. Um, I worked on, so I came back and I got, I was basically the, the main producer on the multiplayer. So like, I didn't really have any involvement in the single player, although I agree. And I knew that that's what we were going to focus on mostly was nailing that single player experience. Cause up until then, like it, the, the single player experiences for battlefield were like bad. Like, well, you bought that game for the multiplayer. You bought that game for the multiplayer and, and. They just weren't, you know, they hadn't put, and we were known, Visceral was known for like making like, you know, Dead Space, like campaign games, you know? And so um, that was like a really, that this is like another level up because I, man, for a lot, like I got left alone and I don't mean, obviously a lot of people worked on multiplayer, but like from a production standpoint, you know, like management was so focused on the campaign. Oh, wow. Like we really got to like we had a pretty young crew working on the multiplayer and we just got to go you know like well that's so the that, best yeah, isn't that the yeah, best yeah it was it was like, really it was no really eyes fun. on you no attention yeah. you can kind of run off and make something awesome it's just that like the there's only so much time in the day and that they're they're reviewing like they just had so much focus on the single player. And when you're reviewing single player and like, you'll do these dailies where you're playing a level and like walking mm. through every little bit and Hey, fix, taking notes and fix this and fix that. And we're like doing daily play tests where people fill out a form, you know, but it's like, great. It's just data for us. You know, we just keep yeah. making. Yeah. Um, and so we had like a big E3 demo, right. Where they announced the game and it was like, and the demo is live right now. It was like a surprise drop. And so there was a lot of focus on us for that. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, all the, you know, it's like a big demo at E3. All the execs, including Dice, were like really paying attention. I could easily call out the logo and like the bald cop with like the aviated glasses, yeah. right? Like yeah. that, that, that branding all over the buses and the sides of the buildings in right. LA for E3 and all this thing. The yeah. Rooftop. Yeah. They landed the helicopter, some nonsense. They, they were going big on it. And so, but as soon as that was done, and we delivered that one map. The heat was off. And we just went and made a bunch of maps. And like no one, I mean, we just got to, you know, like the team made that without much influence from any outside forces. And so like, as far as working at EA, that was like the most pure Damn. experience I'd had as far as like just game development. Like, dude, no one's bugging us. Like I'm the, I'm the manager. I'm the one that's bugging us. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, if I just, I'm running this the way I want to run it and no one's telling me otherwise, like, the development directors are all like, I don't want to say like junior to me. I don't mean it in like a way of like, I have more authority or whatever, but they were like, they're less, you know, they were younger or, sure. or my same less, age and they're less, less experienced. Yeah. And they were taking cues from me. Like I was the one like day to day, kind of like calling out like the direction we were going to move. Right. Okay. And so it's like, awesome. That's like the dream, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, like that was, that was a rad experience. Like, you know, it's a multiplayer for a battlefield game. And we did some like really cool, innovative stuff that hadn't been done in battlefield up until that time. Well, like uh, what? Um, I just think like, so specifically like how fast our vehicles were, right. Mm. So we brought an element of speed to that game that hadn't been there. I think obviously taking it out of like the military context period, 
Yeah. It's like the only battlefield that's done that. And you could say what you want about that. Maybe that wasn't a good idea. I don't know. But like getting to do it was cool. You know what I mean? Like trying to figure out how we're going to adapt this formula for like not a war zone is, is, is a fun and interesting challenge. And then I just think like some of the stuff, it's, it's like small little stuff, you know, little features like being able to take ammo off of the guy that carries ammo without him putting the pack down or the oh. way we outline the conquest zones on the mini map, right? Like just a bunch of little stuff. And then, you know, I know that we really pushed forward the, the overall net code for the battlefield as a franchise. Sick, sick. Hell yeah, man. You, you had your stamp on that franchise and moved it forward. Cause you know, the last one, what, 2048 definitely is a better experience because of some of that work, right? Like nudging no, for that sure. Like, yes, like there's work that went into that game that then was reflected in future games. And my favorite thing, honestly, is when it's not. And then I'm getting tagged on Twitter by people who are like, why don't you have this thing? Because <laughs> they know I'm like the hardline. I'll defend hardline, man. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm an advocate for Battlefield hardline. <laughs> so I get tagged in a lot of like hardline conversation. I love it. Yeah. After Battlefield Hardline, most of the people went to Ragtag, but a small group of us stayed on and started like prototyping things. I just pitched Skate. So like I, I ended up talking to a finance guy and he was like really into it. Yeah. Let me ask you, yeah. what's it like in between projects at EA, is there a mechanism that you can kind of run ideas up the tent pole to be like, hey, what if we build this or what if we build a sequel mm. to this or what happened to this franchise? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes not, right? So it, prior, like my experience had been like not necessarily like, for instance, when I got done with Army of Two, mm -hmm. I came back, I, I arrived back home and like we ha we're doing Battlefield Hardline. This is your role on Battlefield Hardline, right? There's no like downtime. It's like you're going right into this, right? And so, and, and maybe that's just like my perspective, you know, as, as I worked my way up the ladder, it wasn't until after Hardline that I had the opportunity to like pitch, you know, okay. like, hey, you're not assigned to anything like come up with some ideas, let's talk. You know, like that kind of thing had never happened for me. They gave you the kind of, uh, what do you call it, man? Like green grass pastures to be like, what do yeah. you want to do? Yeah, yeah. And and that, I'd never been in that position before. And so that, at that time, me and some other people put but together. you earned like a, it. You earned it. For sure, yeah. I had been there a long time and, and I'd worked really hard at EA. I worked really hard there, so. This is like what, like 13, 14 years in? No, I mean, this is, I was only on Ragtag for like the last year and I, I was there for 17 years. So this is like 16 years at this point. Damn, it's right? 16 years of putting it, paying your dues from the yeah. ground up. Finally, you got a chance to be like, yo, what do you want to do? What do you want to work on? To be clear, like I, if I had had some idea <clears throat> and really pushed it before then, I probably could have got someone to listen. But I had never had them come to me and say, hey, why don't you just spend some my time, you know, working on an idea? So what'd you do with it? Well, we pitched a, like a basically a sequel, not necessarily a sequel to Hardline. I don't know if you call it a spinoff or whatever. We, we, we basically came up with like another first-person shooter multiplayer game that we could do. And at the same time, I worked with a guy in finance on like a skate, basically just pitching like, hey, why skate was... Because I, I didn't think... My thing was never that I wanted to make skate. Like it's mm -hmm. not from my studio. It's just my favorite game of all time. So I literally <laughs> asked him, hey... I, I befriended this guy who was like pretty high up in EA finance. And I was like, Hey, like, how come we never made another skate? Like, what's up with that? And he's like, yeah, you know, what's interesting is like the numbers on skate three, we should make another skate. Like, what do you think? Like, would you pit, you should pitch it or whatever. And so he and I like put together like some numbers presentations. And, uh, and then I reached out to some guys in Vancouver and figured out what they had. Like, of course the guys that made the game. Cause I'm not trying to like, I want, I'm just trying to make it so they can make the game. 
Yeah. Right? Like it's yeah. literally yeah. as a fan, I'm just trying to enable this game. Not like I'm necessarily trying to make it. I would love to work on it, but like, sure. hey man, if they just make it, I'll be happy. And so I reached out to them. kind of always been your, your MO, right? Your, your right. MO has always been like, yo, I just want to help things get made. Yes, yeah. for sure. I want to make stuff too, but at EA especially, it's like my job as producer, I had that in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. So it's different now that I'm like, I'm a designer, you know, but yeah, for sure. Back then, it's like, I just want to help. And so I reached out to them and like, hey, where are you guys at? Like, do you guys have anything on the side cooking? You know, and like, of course they did. Yes. All right, cool. And so I started putting together a presentation. I, I didn't get that high. And like, honestly, I got to this guy who was like, kind of like, I would say the gatekeeper for getting it pitched to publishing. Like if okay. he had been down for it, then I could have gone to publishing. And he said to me, man, Ooh, skater, you know, we know that skaters only spend their money on weed. Just some dumb, weak ass shit, dude. Damn, man. <laughs> my thing was like, hey, this is in 2016. And so it's like, hey, in four years, skateboarding is going to be an Olympic sport. We need to start working on this right now. Like, get out ahead of it so we can drop this game when skateboarding is in the Olympics and it's on primetime television. Like, this is the time to like seize it, you know? Yeah, and, you get that. It's weak, dude. And not that that's not, by the way, like, I'm not knocking EA. That's just like sure. one dude that worked there that had a bad attitude, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? Like, I think, you know, I'm, and, and I'll preface this by saying, I've never really been in on the business side of things and the financial side of things. My outside interpretation is they play it safe. They look at what's hot now. They don't give a shit about what's mm. going to be hot, right? Yeah. So that's the problem, right? As developers, as creators, we're looking ahead. We're like, yo, where, where are people going to be down yeah. the line, right? Where, where, you know, and, and that's, that's that. That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Like you, you were where like- you should have been. I but. think that it's part partly because they're a publicly traded company. And so there's the stock and they have to like perform on the stock. And so they're scared, you know, and they only want to yeah. do things that they think they already know for sure of any success, but you can never already know for sure. So it's a little bit foolish. I think that, you know, ultimately what happens, and this has been the history of EA is like someone else innovates in a mm-hmm. space and then EA comes in after and does something in that space. Right. Yes. And, and so like, oh, like Call of Duty's going off. We need to get one of those. Let's go buy, you know, uh, dice and, and we'll battle and we'll push Battlefield and that be all that'll be our competitor to that, right? Yeah. And, and they did a bunch of mobile acquisitions last year. I mean, right. hey, look look at where we are today, right? They they spin off a studio in Vancouver called Full Circle and right. skates coming. No, for sure. But like look at like their like price modeling, right? Like the yeah. con like premium, right? This idea that you're going to buy a game and you're going to subscribe to premium, which everybody did. But EA was the last one to leave it. Mm. You know, like they they have to cling to it because it's like, we know this is going to make X dollars and like our shareholders. And so it it sucks because like you have designers there that like are trying to push the medium forward. Yes. And EA is always reactionary. And the longer we go here, the worst being reactionary is because it used to be like, okay, like we're making games, dude, for the Atari and we see Pac-Man. We're like, Pac-Man, make us one of those. Well, dude, I can make you one of those in a month. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then it got to like the Nintendo days and you see Mario Brothers, like Mario Brothers, kids love these platformers. Make us one of those. I can make you a platformer in like five months. Eight bit yeah. platformer, we could do this. Yeah. With like 10 people, I can make you like an eight bit platformer in five months. 
And then it became like, you know what I'm saying? And so the games are getting more uh, complicated. Dude, it takes years to make a game now. So when they see like, oh, Battle Royale is popping off. That's yeah. what's going on, you know? And then they go, let's see. Let's wait on it. And they yeah, go, okay, but- it's been going for two years. Battle Royale is legit. Let's make a Battle Royale. And then it's like, man, you're so far behind already, dude, you know? Dude, shout out to Apex, Apex Legends. I don't know anything about how that game was put together, but all I know is when it launched and it just shocked the world, I, I gripped into it. I was like, oh, shit loving this and then i know something about it apex legends ea didn't know they were making that what the hell do you mean they didn't know they were making that wait wait are you saying that it was like titanfall 3 or something like that yeah it was just they made it at respawn kind of on the download it wasn't like an official project on the books with a budget and all that that's why there was was no marketing yeah they just showed up and they're like hey we have this i'm really sure about this i can't reveal my source but like Mm, mm. they showed up and were like because Vince knew they wouldn't, or maybe they had said no already. It was like, no, nah, we don't want to do that. And so they okay. just did it. And they were like, hey, we got this and it's ready to go right now. God. It's like, okay. Otherwise, EA still wouldn't be in the Battle Royale space. They'd be like developing one right now, you know? Yeah, yeah, try, failing and trying. Man, that's crazy. I mean, there's a, you know, epic story tale of doing something in the shadows against all odds with a skeleton crew because you know it's right. the right thing but right. never in a million years would i tell you that would happen at a big massively publicly traded company right like so shout out to vince which well, i think just been bought and they just been bought they got oh. nothing to lose they're probably not stoked on being bought anyway you want to <laughs> lay me off cool i already got yeah. my money i don't know how it all works i'm speculating sure sure like sure. even the Hold thing that, said, that is speculation i'm really sure about it but it's speculation i don't know this is a fact i'm not I don't work at EA. Like I don't have some insider. Me neither. Me neither. And, right. <laughs> and I think they, I think Vince now is heading up everything. Like yeah. Good. They should related. make him CEO. How about make him CEO? We can get these marketing guys out of there. Let's go. <laughs> Let's have some game developers run the. How about the biggest game developer? Because they are again. They're like the biggest non-first party game developer, right? It was Activision, but they Indeed. got bought by a first party. Yeah. So let's have the biggest game developer out there run by a game developer. And I'm by, I'm not m- knocking marketing or anything. Marketing is super important, but like mm-hmm. let's have like an actual developer run EA. I promise let's you go. it'll be better. Let's go. Let's go. Let's And he's do moving it. up, dude. I get excited every time I see him. They announce him in like a, a bigger position at EA because like, oh, yeah. that's what EA it's needs massive, to do. It's massive, man. It's basically like, hey, everything first person shooter related, like you're the guy now. Apex, it's too many like corporate business people there making decisions when you have so many like other people that could do. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. come on, let's go. <laughs> let's bring up the game developer. I want to get to life after EA, but definitely have to touch on Ragtag. Yeah, and 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 that legendary product, right? Just from the outside looking in, it's like it gets a powerhouse team with. Yeah. Amy Henning, right, coming over fresh from Naughty Dog and Uncharted games to be like, hey, come build an Uncharted in the Star Wars universe, you know, first person story campaign, carte blanche. And we're giving you the, the visceral team, right, which is yeah. known for these like sci-fi, 90 rated third person action. I guess they're horror survival, survival horror, but you know, mm-hmm. they're like third person shooter action games, yeah. right? Match so made in like, heaven. On match paper, made, match in heaven. made in heaven. Okay. Was this lady tied to it? Um jade raymond yeah kind of they had hired her to run that montreal studio and then they Mm -hmm. made her in charge of like 
multiple studios and so she was like in charge of our studio as well but she didn't sit there or anything okay because yeah because she was always based in montreal and i think yeah. ea had closed down some portion of the montreal studio and then reopened and rebranded as modu right okay okay yeah so, so that, she was involved in that like she was like our general ma our studio's general manager reported to her i think okay so like but not like she wasn't involved in the day-to-day -day. it was amy was like running that creatively she's then, like creative director or studio head kind of thing yeah she wasn't the studio head she was creative director okay so like the, cool two separate things yeah. so on, on paper this project well, has all the good stuff here's the rub though so like visceral is a studio that's known for third person like highly detailed high quality like perfect for amy right yes narratively driven you know like all that Except here's the thing, three years before that, they told us to make a Battlefield game. And so like a lot of people that were really into that, like mm -hmm. narrative driven, they left, you know, because they don't want to make Battlefield, right? And oh, we went and true. hired a bunch of people that are experts at like multiplayer. You know, we went and got the best network engineers and we went and got like really good multiplayer game designers because we were going to make a bunch of new game modes and all this. And then we made Battlefield for you know, two and a half or three years. And then they're like, okay, now go back to making the thing you made before. But the people that were like really critical to making that thing we made before, a lot of them left when we started making Battlefield because you just had it. And we hired a bunch of people that are experts at making Battlefield now. Like yeah. what made for the sense for the studio at that time, like it or not, was to keep making Battlefield. And that's not a knock on Amy. It's just like, you're, you're now you're giving Amy a Battlefield team. Mm. right and it's like that's a totally different deal than what blows my mind to be honest with you is that they didn't have us make battlefront we're there we're ready to do star wars we had just made a battlefield game yeah you know what i mean like dice can never ship anything on time like so let, let them just focus on battlefield four or five or whatever it was they were working on at the time yeah right and then we could do that because that could have like the cool Amy story on the single player. And then we can use all these people we just hired for the multiplayer. Mm -hmm. but anyway, it's just like kind of the team. And it wasn't the team was a bad fit. It was that like it really would have been a perfect fit three years earlier. We lost people when she before she came that really would have helped the team when she came. Because now we're trying to make this game that we're not really like specialized for, yeah you know that, that's the thing you, you touch on something that i don't really hear a lot of in conversations it's like you know you um you want to say i'm a game developer i can do whatever game but truth be told in this day and age with the scale of these games you do have specialists you know you have people that are yeah. great at shooters great at, at crazy ai or open world or simulation or racing games and things like that so for you that's enlightening to hear that you had a team that specialized in multiplayer first person shooter. <laughs> right. Not and like a, third person single player. Especially with like level design, you know? Yeah. Like, that's like a big and like we had like really good level designers for multiplayer shooters. And it's not like they can't make single player levels. They can. But the guys that were just making single player levels for, you know, the last Uncharted or whatever, they're so far ahead because they were just doing it. It's like you're asking someone to do something that's like completely different and to excel at it at the highest level without like that, that takes years, you know? Yes. Yes. Going to add a bunch of years to your production. So it's just kind of like a business look, 
you know, oh, we're just going to hire Amy and have you make this. And so, mm-hmm. of course, it didn't go well. And then oh. we're going to like, you know, the business can be super involved and we're going to have Vancouver, half the team be in Vancouver and the executive producer is going to be in Vancouver, but the creative director is going to be down in California and they're not going to get along, you know, yeah, like yeah, all these yeah. type of things, right? Like, okay. This is not set up for success, that game. Dude. So then, you know, as legend goes and, you know, like people can read about this and there's a whole bunch of interviews or stories online and you have a great breakdown and press reset. Ragtag gets canceled. And now here you are at this point in life where all you've ever known is EA. Your whole circle is EA, right? This is, uh, you, did you meet your wife at EA while you were at EA? You got married while you were at EA. Yeah. And I was, I didn't meet her at EA, but I, I was working there when I, yeah, man, I met, I was started there when I was 18. Yeah. Like, I met her when I was 20. So yeah, we had, I'd already been there a couple of years. And, and by this point, are you starting a family? You have a family? Yeah, at this point, I have, well, when when that studio got shut down, it was two days after my second son was born. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah it was right right then. Um, so, so now it's like you're at a crossroads, right? Yeah, like, hey, I got to make a move. I got to make a decision. Where do I want my life to be? What do I want to do? Yeah, and, like, I knew that that day would come someday I'm, like, I'm not stupid you see it you know like people are getting laid off all the time students are getting closed all the time i figured like okay my, my time will come at some point and i always had said like oh when that time comes like maybe we'll you know we'll move away who knows right like mm-hmm. what the plan will be um but when it happened i ended up i didn't have time to think about it because i was like it kind of came unexpectedly we had this game i thought we were going to make that game they hired amy they made a big deal out of it publicly of hiring amy like it's pretty crazy to walk that back um, yeah. so it was definitely a surprise for me. What happened was I immediately had like a job offer at crystal dynamics, which was like right down the road. And so because I had just had a kid, I like, I like accepted, you know, I didn't sign any papers or anything, but like, you know, the verbally, yeah, the guy that runs the studio called me up. He was like, Hey dude, I got you. There's a job here for you. Hit me up whenever. I know you just had a kid. So like hit me up whenever. And so like, but, but just, just t- take a step back. Yeah, you weren't laid off when no. Visceral got shut down no. and Ragtag got shut down. Yeah, that's a good point, and and that's like a you know one of the things that like EA does get a lot of crap, and so they should they should get credit when you know credit is due. When they close the studio, it's like first off they're like, hey, nobody's fired today or anything. You know, this is in October. They paid us like we're just on salary for the rest of the year, mm-hmm. right? No matter what. Um, and then in that time. They like did a whole bunch of work to place us at different studios, either at the same location because we were headquarters. So Max's yep. studio was there. There was a mobile studio there, a couple mobile studios there. You know, there's like a bunch of stuff there. Or you could, you know, they place people at Tiburon or Dice. Yeah. You know, I mean, Sweden. That's the wherever. cool thing about EA, right? You got a great net to. Right. There's there's no shortage of projects that needs resources. So, right. One project cancels or gets closed down. You got other projects that could leverage that resource. And there was, I mean, I'll say this, like, because in the end, like, basically, after that year was up, if you didn't have, like, a position, then they would, like, lay you off and give you a severance package, right? Okay, if you couldn't land on a project. But here's the thing. It wasn't that, like, that wording, right? It was, like, if you didn't. Because, like, I did. Like, I got multiple offers from other projects, and I just said no, right? So, like, at that point, like, I'm kind of quitting, 
But EA still gave me a severance, you know, which in a 17 year severance, like a, which is a pretty, you know, it's based on like how long you've been there, you know? <laughs> Shit. Um, and so it was like a nice severance. Like they did, they treated me like very fairly. And, you know, they basically were like, look, anywhere you want to work at the company, you've been here so long, you know how to like work within this company, just call, say it, you know? Mm -hmm. So that it was like, they were, they were cool. And I was like, yo, what's up on skate? I did. I said, what's up on skate? <laughs> One more shot. I'm like telling the HR person, let me make skate. <laughs> <laughs> like it, like they can make the call for right. you. <laughs> Damn, one more one more saving throw one more hail man yeah i just didn't at that point i felt like i don't know i'm done here like the positions that were, were available to me or the idea of relocating mm -hmm. i wasn't into it and i was kind of like the stuff we talked about earlier the fact that like there's these corporate people running things and they're not necessarily like gamers or game developers even they're just like business people i didn't like that you know like it rubbed yeah. me the wrong way and i felt like hey like this is a cool time to go see something else, you know? Yeah, it makes sense, bro. I'm probably bitter years. at the company, you know, they just closed <laughs> my studio, right? Like all these sure. things, right? Sure. So like, yeah. I'll just, I'm going to go over here to this other place. The wounds are fresh. And and so you had a buddy at Crystal and and so you had the off the job just on the strength of a phone call. Like, yeah, he was know. like, we got you. This was the executive producer from the Simpsons game. He's now the head of the studio at Crystal Dynamics. What's his name? Scott Amos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, dope. So... New job, new opportunity, but still some familiar faces. A lot, and, because then a bunch of people from Visceral came over there. They were hiring up. They did the Avengers game. They were doing the Avengers game at the time. They were hiring okay. up for that. And so, yeah, I came over. Uh, and, you know, I took, like, all the time until January, right? I just, like, yeah. sat because I had the baby. I had a new baby. So, I was like, yeah. all right, cool. That, that was the good part about it. It was, like, no stress of worrying about, am I going to get another job? And I did, like, in that time, I interviewed for a couple other jobs. Mm -hmm. It just didn't. Like, man, one one was at Lucas and it would have been super awesome. But like, I went there and I interviewed and the interview ended at like 545, you know, like a yeah. normal end of work day. And I was like, dude, I was like, oh, this is sick. And they were, they were really into it and they needed me. And it was like a perfect, it felt like it was going really well. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, dude, this is sick. And like, I'm working it at you know star wars like i'm working at yeah. lucas arts and like dude that's the armor from the movie right there i don't know if you've ever been there but it's crazy it's like a museum. it's so nice and like this is amazing i'm going to my car like yeah dude, i'm doing it room i get out i drive and i get on the freeway and it's like vroom, wall of cars and it took me like an hour and 20 minutes to get home and so like i left there thinking like i'm gonna work here at lucas arts and yeah. by the time i got home i was like i'm not working there i can't do <laughs> I can't do this every day. I can't do this every day. I can't do it. <laughs> the traffic. The I couldn't commute do it. killed it. Yeah, I wow. was like, no, nah, because I live like four miles from EA. So I didn't know about like, I'd forgotten about that. You know, <laughs> like I knew, but I didn't, you know, I didn't like, Ooh, shit. I had to go feel it one time and I'm glad I did. I'm glad my interview oh. didn't get out at like noon or something. I just cruised home on a beautiful sunny day and I was like, that yeah. was great. Took the job and then realized, oh shit, I'm miserable, you know? Damn, yeah, our commute, man, will do that to you for sure. Crystal Come Dynamics on. was eight miles away and I knew a bunch of people there and they're making a third person Avengers game and I was just working on a third person Star Wars game. So it's like not that far of a leap. Like I'm already in that like mode, you know? So yeah. But producer at Crystal is not oh, yeah. like it's a producer like a at EA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Producer Crystal is like scheduling and like, you know, it's like, and I, I can do that stuff. It's like, I don't, I don't mind it. But like at EA, I like really wandered toward the like design end of the spectrum, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And 
It's hard so to go like, back once you've had a And I was working directly with Amy and Amy's like, she like you'll level up just by sitting in the room with her because she like, you know, she's really thoughtful. She has a reason for doing everything. And like, she's really like, if you're in the room with her, when she's working through something, you're going to see her work through it. She's like talking out loud. She's Dope. like, you know, riffing off of people. And so she's like, a great you, leader, man. Great you're just leader. like, yeah, like feed me this. Like that wasn't, even though we didn't ship that game, I'm like glad for that experience, you know? Cause like, totally. I got in there, I got to, I was the manager of all the level designers. And so I got to be in like all these meetings about the level design of the game, which like really like that's where all the game, the level is how the game comes to life. That's totally. how it's delivered to the player. Right. So it was hot. It was nice. It was nice times there until that, that yeah, happens. Man, that's invaluable. I mean, there's so much, so many games that have never seen the light of day that are canceled, but indirectly led to a lot of us leveling yeah. up and learning and being able to carry those skills onto yeah. some other game. That's really the only one of those that I had. Like a canceled game. True. Like, oh, that's so, that's not worth highlighting, man. That was your first canceled production. There was other things that we talked about, maybe doing a sequel to this or that, but like never like. Oh, it, it was. We were making it. It was announced, and then they canceled it. And and that's pretty lucky that I went that long, and that never yeah. happened to me. You know, so like that was. You know, it's not the end of the world. Like it's it stunk at the time. You know, sure. it's it, it's pretty it's pretty bitter, but. You know, yeah. it is what it is. And I, yeah, so I end up going to Crystal and like producer there is not, you're not design focused. It doesn't matter. Like I'm all up in there anyway, mm -hmm. but there yeah, were a lot of did. cooks in the kitchen there, you know, like. Uh, oh, especially on that project. It was very yeah, much especially on that project. different than Tomb Raider. Right. And so, and some of it was just like, it was a little bit of a, a step back for me, like professionally in that, like, man, I was like. I had become like kind of a big deal at EA and I'm now years. this new guy. Yeah. At Crystal. And so I only ended up working there for four months. Wow. Yeah. And really after two months I resigned, they just asked me to help them out for the two months. You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll stay. And like, yeah. They're like, look, I mean, they, you know, it's hard, man. Doing And you know, I'm, I am like, I'm good at my job. You know, like if you mm -hmm. assign me something to manage, it will get managed well and it will get done and it will be organized and I'll be able to like tell you what's going on and, and you know, all these things that like leadership is looking for. Mm. Dude, so you leave Crystal and you take a hiatus or a sabbatical from game development. I mean, at the time I would have told you that I was like retired from game development, that I was done making games. Like, okay, got, you retired, you said, fuck this. I got a, a job offer shortly after Crystal, someone hit me up and I got a job offer and it was like kind of a once in a lifetime type of deal where it's like, hey, there's this new company starting and they're, it's a construction company, but they're really approaching construction in a way that no one, it's a new company, it's a startup. Mm -hmm. And they need someone to come in and do a couple things. One of those things is like organize how the architects are going to like manage process yeah and they're like hey we want you to bring like agile you know if people want to look this up i'm not going to like explain what agile development is but it's no, it's it's a development process that we use to make video games or often used to make video games and and you know and using a database to track issues and how the and ownership of those issues and all the you know severity and priorities and all these things and then set up a, a architect studio in India. So I don't know anything about architecture, but that's fine. There's architects that I'm working with. My job is just to like kind of build out the like structure yeah. of the design department of this giant new construction startup, right? That sounds crazy. And they gave me a whole bunch of stock options and like 
you know, it, it was like a unicorn, meaning they had raised like billions of dollars. You know, it was what's the name of this? Are they still around? Uh, no, <laughs> Funny story. they went bankrupt after I left. Uh, they were called Katera. And it's crazy because they own so much because they're a construction company. Like I know how much land and buildings and stuff they owned. It's like, I wonder what happens. I left before they went bankrupt. So I don't sure. really know what happens to like these giant, you know, they just had all the like backing of all these big VC firms and stuff. Mm -hmm. so as happens, as happens yeah. in any disruptive yeah. technology. I mean, what you told me about it is to makes total sense, right? It's like, hey, what happens? when you bring in some type of tech backend organization thing to massive construction projects, right? Yeah. Like for sure, construction well, it, is inefficient. The way that construction works is that construction and design and manufacturing are all separate. Oh. Completely separate. And so this company combined all of them. So it's like, hey, we supply all our own materials. We do all our own design. And so there's all sorts of bullshit that happens when you're like building a house or building anything where like the architect blames the construction guy and the construction yep. guy blames the architect and the materials are wrong. And, and so we just like, hey, our whole thing was like, we eliminate all that. Like you yeah. come to us, we give you a bid, you give us that money, we build your shit, we give you keys. Real simple. There's no like change orders or going back and forth on this or that. They just couldn't pull it off. <laughs> Compared to game development, what was it like? Yeah, it's interesting. It's like they're not working as hard for mm. sure architects and like they're working hard don't get me wrong what they're doing in construction is like really complicated yeah people's lives man therein lies the thing is like the consequences of construction are much higher than a video game development the consequences yes however video game development is like landing a rocket on the moon it's so complicated like so for me my job is to go in and set up these teams and like i'm dealing with like five architects you know, 20 guys on a construction crew, that ain't shit. I'm used to dealing with <laughs> 250 person development teams. And some of them are in China and they don't speak English. And some of them are in Canada and some are in the US and they're all over the place. Like Whoa. you're telling me everybody's right here in the, like, it was pretty, I felt like it was easy. And it's like a nine to five industry, you know, it's like yeah, the Flintstones. Yeah. And everybody's off, dude. It's predictable, so like, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. You can measure everything. It's not really going to have any crazy setbacks or delays outside of like production chain, but it's a pretty understood story. And I love hearing it as often as possible when people dabble in things outside of game development, where it's completely different and usually not as hard or not as difficult for whatever reason. The organizational stuff I did, which like you as a game developer, if I showed you like the Jira that they, we I set up for them, I set up Jira and like used that, you know, used yeah. it. I understood. I took a lot of time to understand the process of architecture. You have to learn that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, like in what order do you build things? Like, man, I, I read, I've got still textbooks, man. I studied like to learn to understand this and then broke it all down into tasks because this is not how architects work. It's like, I'm just going to go off and design this thing. And it's all in their head. Like there's not necessarily like tasks. And so like you can't share work really easily. Oh, you haven't done the, you know, the window stripe. Okay. I'm going to sign it to this person, you know, or you haven't done the flashing. Okay. I'm going to sign it to that person. Can't do that. Cause like, you don't know who's doing what. Mm. Well, that's how it was for games back in the day, right? For sure. And, yeah. But we figured this out a long time ago because it's complicated, right? And so like mm -hmm. if I showed you the databases that we had for these projects, you would say that it's like a database for like a Nintendo game. It's pretty simple. Like it's a 20 person team. There's not that many issues. There's not that much going on every day. Yeah. There's not, you know, it's you, you would think it was pretty simple. Right. Yeah. Any game yeah. developer would. Yeah. People in this industry treated it like it was a revolution. Like I was some kind of prodigy genius. Right. Like 
they were happy with my job there. Like I did good work there. They thought mm. like, wow, like this guy like really knows his stuff. And like, I'm like, this is so easy. <laughs> this is so easy compared to like a video game. Again, it's hard. It's architecture. It's hard. But again, like we're like landing people on the moon over here. <laughs> Engineers have figured it out. A lot of people figured it out, right? Like you can take what you've learned and accomplished in video games to any other industry. Yes. And what do you get paid twice as much for like half the work or something like that? Yes. That was literally exactly what happened to me. I got paid twice as much. It ended up being, and I was ready to work. I wasn't slacking off, but it ended up being like half the work, you know? You were done early, right? Like it just you... wasn't, yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it was the pace, the like frantic yeah. pace and like the evolution, like every week in game development, it's like there's a new development. Yeah. <laughs> like There's a new thing, a new problem or whatever. It just... That happens in, in that industry too, but not at the same like level of complication, you know? So you're living the good life, you're yeah. enjoying your game dev retirement and something happens, you get an itch. Yeah, like I, I don't know that I was like super enjoying it. Like at first I was, but I'd done it for like a year and I was like, okay, you know, I did it. Like the thing they wanted me to do, which is come in and like apply a new process and roll it out to the company. It's like, okay, I yeah. did it. No. What's next? And they like had some like things that I just wasn't interested in. And then like I had like friends that sent me a demo. You know, it's people that I worked with at Visceral. They were like, we started like a little indie thing. They hadn't really founded, like fully founded the company yet, but we're starting a thing. We got this demo. What do you think? It was just a private, no announcement or anything. Yet. And so I played the demo and it was like, damn, it was Airborne Kingdom, which is the game we ended up shipping. And so I really liked the demo and I thought, oh, this is like, you know, the flying city builder I'd never seen. And I play city builders. I enjoy these type of games and I'd never seen anything like this. It's like different for that genre. And I like that genre. And I immediately I was like jealous, you know, or like, mm. man, I need to be involved. Like that was kind of like my angle on it was like, you know, they're looking for feedback. And I'm like, my feedback is that I need to be involved in this somehow. <laughs> and so I hit him up and I was like, you know, I basically just said that. I think like what you guys have is fucking awesome. Like, I think it's really cool. And like, I want to be involved in any way possible. And if that means like helping you guys with schedule or helping you guys on the business end of things, or like, you know, I have a full-time job, but like, you know, I, I'm looking for like something else, you know, mm -hmm. to do. So it wasn't like about, this is going to be my new job. It was just like, can I help you guys? As, as a matter of fact, I was like, let me invest money in the company. Oh, shit. They didn't have money and I have a bunch of money now. Yeah. They work for this rich company. So let me invest some of my personal money into this company so you can pay for some stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. So be like an investor. Right. Yeah. Whatever. Like anything. And so we came up with like kind of a deal, like how I could like, and I invested some money and like, and just started helping them on like the presentation, like just getting mm -hmm. it to a publisher, you know, like, Hey, we're going to go to GDC with this thing and announce it and put out a trailer and have a website and like announce it and then try to go get a publisher to fund it. Cause we don't have any money other than the money that I put in. It's not enough to pay people. It's more to cover expenses, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it was like, okay, cool. I just kind of like took the lead on like reaching out to publishers and negotiating publishing deals and, and then setting up all these meetings at GDC. And then we go and we get that deal. And like, now I'm like really involved, you know? And then it's like, okay, we got to make the game now. And then I'm like helping them schedule out the game and breaking it down. And there's all this like level design work. And I'm like, yo, like I can do the level design work. No problem. You yeah. Know? Like, Cause the other designer, it's like, he's also an engineer and he's got like all the systems design. It's mostly systems design, right? Like the city builder. So the level design at the time, we didn't even know what it was. We just knew, Hey, it's a flying city and you can move around and gather resources on the ground. Yes. Right. Yeah. But then like, you had your kind of your core pillars or your core gameplay experience. Right. But there's no progression. 
so we we finally figured out like that'll be my job is to come in and like it doesn't need to be super deep it just needs to be a light experience you know because the deep part is the city builder so it's not like a full-time job but then like you know i'm like this is what i need to be doing the more i'm more i'm working on it and now i'm like working in design which like flashback to like now 20 years ago when i started at ea i ended up going into production but i always wanted to go into design now it's like okay i'm a designer and you know, we have this company and we got this deal with Epic. And so we, there's some money and I can like afford to do this. I'm still working at the other job. Now I'm not happy. Now I'm really not happy at the other job because every minute I'm working at the other job feels like a waste of time. Now I'm like in a conference room at the other job on my video game laptop. Right. And like, yeah. dude, this is the best part. One of our, one of the partners, one of my founding partners, I set up a studio for this construction company in a city called Pune, which is in India. Mm -hmm. One of the partners on the game just so happens to be from Pune. Right. Uh -huh. So I would go on trips out there to Pune and then be like, you know, doing double duty, like doing work at the architecture firm during the day and then at night doing the video game firm. Then like I'd be back in the office here in a conference room with my video game coworker on the screen because no one knows here. They just see me talking to some Indian guy. So they just, they're like, yeah, Zach's in charge of the studio that we set up in India. So like, of course, he's talking to some guy that looks like he's from India. Right? Like, oh my gosh. The so whole thing. I'm sure it's like a fishbowl where people can see. That, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just working on the game and they think, I'm like a director. So like no one's, there's very few people at this office that were senior to me. Yeah. No one's like questioning what I'm doing, yeah. but it gets to the point where it's like, okay, I can't be doing this. Like this is a bad look. Just personally, I'm not trying to steal a rip off from a company. You know? Yeah. Your duties there were complete. You had the bandwidth. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Like I was like, it was easy. So I had this extra time, but still, yeah. right. I shouldn't be doing that. And so, and, and so then I'm like, I need to get out of this. I need to get out of this. And I'm like, I tried to get out of it and they like try to give me more money to stay. And so I'm like thinking that it's like literally at this point and my dad passes away. Oh shit. And then when that happened, like for whatever reason, that just gave me clarity, like almost instantly of like, I need to be doing what I want to do. When something like that happens to you, you know, you lose somebody close to you or whatever. The thing that happens to everybody is that you're going to early on, like have that realization of like life is short. Like, yes. oh man, life is yeah. short. We're all like, every time you're around, the reason like it's so uncomfortable to be around death, obviously first off is like the sadness of losing the person. But also it, it's like highlights your mortality, right? It's like, it's a reminder like, damn, like that's how we all end up, you know? Like time is limited, right? And so yeah. anytime you're in like a situation where that happens and you're close to it, you're going to have that like feelings of like time is limited. And so like when I'm having these feelings of time is limited and like I'm working on some shit I don't care about and yeah. like that's taking away time from my kids, you know, all these feelings that you're going to have when something like that happens, what do I need to be doing? And so like it, it just became like very clear to me like, oh man, I'm, I need to do this like this game. I believe in this game. Epic believed in this game enough to give us a bunch of money. I need to do this game. And so Basically, like right after that, I just, I resigned. It takes those times to question life, evaluate priorities. You know, you lost your dad and everything is pointing to the thing you care about, right? The thing that excites you, the thing that passion you're passionate about. Easy decision. And you did it, man. And so today, what are you doing? So the company, we, we made it all official. Right. So, we, you know, it's like, oh, we're a real company. <laughs> There's all this paperwork you have to do, right? Because yeah. we're just some dudes making a game, right? Yeah. 
So we founded the company, The Wandering Band, and it's called The Wandering Band because we're an all remote studio and we try to make games that we can make on laptops. We try not to make anything that's like really pushing like graphics card too hard or anything like that. We want our games to look nice and all that, but we also want people to be able to run our games and we want to be able to work on them on laptops so that we can work on them from wherever we are in the world. The idea is like we could travel and make games. Our goal is like we try to get together two or three times a year in like different locations. Okay. Now... The last time we did that, literally the last day was when COVID hit the U.S. Like March 2020? Yeah, March 2020. That's the last time you guys all saw each other and convened in person. Yeah, yeah. My point is, is like the wandering part, having an all remote studio was like really revolutionary at the time. And then like a month later, you know, now it's not at all, right? Like everybody's remote. Yeah, dude, you were you were visionary. You were right, ahead of like the time. We were visionaries by like just barely, and so we haven't been able to get together. But that's the idea of Wandering Band: is we travel around while we're making these games. We made our first game, Airborne Kingdom. We released it about a year ago on Epic Game Store for the PC, Dope. and then we spent the next six months porting it over to consoles. So it's now out on Xbox, it's out on PlayStation, and it's out on the Nintendo Switch. And then yeah, we continue to kind of like support that game trying to add some new content to that game while we're working on just whatever is next, right? Like new ideas. I've been meaning to check it out. I love hearing when games are on Switch because it's just like the portability and being able yeah. to take it with me until the, what is it, the Valve Shield thing comes out or whatnot, or the deck. Yeah, that thing, man. I don't I don't remember what it's called. It's the giant brick. It looks like it's going <laughs> to suck up batteries. Yeah, dude. I'm a big fan of the Switch. When I was working at the architecture company, it was over in Seattle, and I live across the water from Seattle. Where at? Bainbridge Island. Yeah, Bainbridge. Yeah, Jump so I'm over ferry. here. We moved up here after, like, basically when we moved up here, I took that job. They're like, okay, you got to move to Seattle to do this job. I'm like, cool. Mm. I was ready to get out of the Bay Area anyway. I came over here to look where we were going to live. And I I was walking up first, you know, over by like Pikes Martin, you know, like the touristy yeah. area. And yeah. I saw the ferries and I was like, what's up with that ferry? Because I could see where it was parking. And I could see that like the office I was working at was like three blocks from there. And I'm yeah. like, oh, what's up with that ferry? Like, where yeah. does that go? Right. Yeah. And so I just, I asked someone and they were like, oh, Bainbridge Island. I rode over the ferry one day and like looked around. I was like, this place seems really nice, you know? And like, apparently Bainbridge Island is really expensive, but I came from the Bay Area. So <laughs> I sold a house in the Bay Area. So to me, I was like, man, everything's like half the price here. <laughs> you know, like wow. how affordable. <laughs> right? yeah. Yes. So yeah, it's uh, it's been good though. And so I used to play my Switch every day riding the ferry Dope. across. So I got really into the Switch. To your point, right? Like a long commute where you don't have to be actively driving, where instead mm. you can be reading a book, listening to a out of play area podcast or playing yep. your Switch. That's a different commute, man. That's a nice it's commute. so much better. Mm. Like so much better. Like I would either play my Switch or like, you know, the summers up here are just so nice. Yeah. So like, uh, in the summers... Sometimes I just be on the top deck and like have like listen to a podcast or like music or whatever and just kind of like mosey around the top deck, like looking at boats, you know, yeah, looking at the yeah. mountains. It's a great site, whatever. Yeah. yeah, great views. Was there anything about Epic that made it lucrative or just said, hey, we're going to publish on the Epic Game Store first? Yeah. So they offered us like an exclusive deal. Mm -hmm. And so what that meant was like they were going to fund the game. And so at this point in time, we were talking to a bunch of different publishers. You know, we had offers. We went to GDC and like we really came out of GDC like with a lot of hype. Okay. And we really had our shit together. Like a lot of indie teams don't. What do you mean? They're just not organized. They don't have like the idea of milestones and like 
-hmm. had broken our project down into tasks, into thousands of tasks and made milestones and said, hey, this is what we're going to deliver. So when we went and pitched our game to publishers. Is that what you brought to the team then? I'm sure. Yeah, that yeah. Was... That was like my role in it. It was like, yeah. hey, we have this cool demo and like we actually know what we're doing. We all worked at EA. We've been making, you know, and it's like, it's not a knock on other indie teams, but like no. we have like a pedigree. We know how to make games. Yeah. Cause when, when people are going to give you money, right? They want to know, hey, when can I expect a return mm -hmm. on my investment? And you're kind of giving them that exact roadmap and timeline. Hey, by this day, this year, game's out. Yeah, you start if you're an indie publisher, you're always taking a lot of risk on that stuff. A lot. Mm. Like that these guys aren't going to get it done or they're going to get not get it done in time. Like it's hard. Like making games is really hard and it's hard to finish them. It's especially hard to finish them. Fuck yeah. The deal with us was like, hey, all these publishers are offering these deals. We felt really good. Like everybody wants us. But these deals, man, it's like you want to get this funding and they want 50% of your game. Damn. And so like my thing is like, okay, so I'm going to work and make this game and I'm going to put it out and the store, Steam, is going to take 30%. Yep. So now there's 70% left. Yeah. And you're going to take your 50% of that, oh, right? That's 70%. Right, which means that I'm getting 35% of the money that my game makes. Like that seems not equal, like not valid. Like, and my understanding was like 70-30 was kind of the industry standard. 70 yes. to the developer, 30 to the publisher. That's not my experience of what we were being offered by like a lot of different publishers. Mm. Publishers have clearly like pushed the needle in the direction of like more publisher share. And I understand partly why. They are taking a lot of risk. They're putting up money in, in some of these teams. It's like kids that have never shipped a game before. They have a cool idea. They have some skill and talent, but like that doesn't ship a game. You know what I mean? Mm. Like a cool idea or cool prototype doesn't ship a game. But I'm not some kid that's never shipped a game before. My team is not some amateur group of modders. Like we're serious. We know what we're doing. We have a plan to ship this game. Why would I give up 50%, right? So Epic yeah. comes along and Epic says, hey, we'll just give you like more than you need to make your game. And all you have to do is put your game only on our store, right? So like a, a timed exclusivity deal. Yep. And so like for me, it's like, well, why not? take that like now i don't have to go into debt like i don't have to borrow money from some publisher that's going to take half my game by the way they recoup so if they give you a million dollars yeah then the first million dollars your game makes they just recoup that all the money they gave you and then the split goes into effect oh shit like, what did you risk versus yeah. what i risked not no, sorry not the risk what did you put in versus what i put in in the end you put in nothing you got back everything you put in you just made money off of all my hard work, right? Like, yeah. And so, and I, dude, we almost had to take one of those. If it were for Epic, we would have had to take one of those deals. Someone else would own half of our game right now. The Epic deal is different because there is no recouping. It's just a flat no. out kind of grant. Like, hey, here, here's yeah, a bunch of money. It's a grant. It's basically like, hey, we're trying to boost our store. We're just going to give you this money. And you have to wow. be exclusive to our store. But we're just going to give you this money. It's free. Now, I shouldn't say that. There, It is the way that the, the mechanism for delivery of that money is a sales guarantee. So what they say is, hey, we're going to give you X dollars guaranteed yeah. sales. Just could give it to you. If your game doesn't ever make that, cool. That's our loss. We take, we take the L. Yeah. But if your game makes that, then once it makes that money back, then of course you get your spread. So like as Airborne Kingdom sells right now, they're making that money. I'm not getting any of that money because I already got that money up front. Oh, okay. Okay, but I got you. More, they gave us a very good deal. Honestly, the only thing I'll say about Epic, the whole thing is like I signed an NDA with them that prohibits me from saying how awesome of a partner they were. Cause there's more <laughs> to it than that. Like they did a lot of good stuff that I just can't say. Yeah. Cause I'm sure that every team 
comes to them differently and they have different okay. terms for yes, each team. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> but for us, it was like, hey, basically, we're going to make it so that you, you can finish your game, make your game, and you're going to have enough money to make your next game. Whether you sell zero copies or a million copies, you're good for two games. Dope. Right? And so it's like, yeah. okay, cool. Now we get to put out this game and publish a game. And even if it doesn't make any money, we already made this money on it. And we could get to go make another game that we won't have to borrow someone else's money for the other game. So now we can go publish on Steam. Okay. And we don't, nobody else has like got their hand in our pie. Like it's just us, you know? What's the split on the Epic Store? 8812. Damn. Compared to the 7030 everybody else is offering. Mm hmm. Because Tim is basically saying, Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic, is saying, hey, this is what we need to make money. Mm -hmm. 12 is profitable. Everything else is we're just, it's more profitable. It's the one thing about Epic, because sometimes Epic gets like shit from people, but it's like, dude, they're pro game developer. Like Epic is the most pro game developer company out there, period. You know how many game developers exist because you can just get Unreal for free? True. Like, do you understand like what Unreal is? Like how much Unreal is worth? And you can just get it for free in, in the store. It's like you can say whatever you want about the store. And, and, you know, it definitely like, you know, of course, it's behind Steam. Steam's been around forever. Mm -hmm. But like ultimately, the idea that like what he's saying is like, hey, the developers should be making more. That's not he went to Steam with Fortnite and they're like 30 percent. He's like 30 percent. <laughs> that's a lot what justifies that and then he went and looked into it. he's like you can't justify 30 percent. you justify 12 yeah. i'm gonna do my own store and do 12 yeah. you know that's dope I, I wish epic would do great because i think that that's a conversation that needs to be had by the way microsoft playstation and switch take 30 percent as well mm -hmm. but you understand the difference they're providing hardware steam is just a software platform for them to take 30 percent it just seems like a lot, you know? It seems like a lot. Whereas like for Sony to take 30%, well, they invested all this money in putting out hardware so oftentimes at a loss. Yep, that's how they so make the money. It can exist for the software to go onto it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and I get it. Hey man, Steam exists. And you know what? I'm probably undervaluing the Steam community there, right? Because like, hey. Groups, guaranteed eyes. This community and like you're, you're trying to access our community. We're going to take 30% for that. And like, because it's not the, it's not necessarily just the service. I guess is my point, right? That's a good call and a fair shout. But I would like Steam better if they went to eighty eight twelve. Developers would be happy for that. That would developers be cool. Would be happy for that. I don't know. I, yeah, I think that'd be a big win for Epic, right? If they're able to kind of nudge those percentages. I think that's what that honestly is like. What it's crazy, but I think that's what Tim is trying to. You know, it's like it's less about Epic Store succeeding and more about changing the landscape a little bit which is i mean it's the same thing with the apple thing right it's not just about fortnite you know like people can say oh tim greedy this and that blah 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 okay sure but it's not just about listen to what the man is saying this is not just about fortnite it's about like these app store gatekeepers and like their ability to like monopolize the customer base and then take whatever they want you know, and it's like, that's a valid conversation we should be having. Whether we change or not, we should be having that conversation. There you go. Hell yeah. If you are cool with it and you are ready to enter the final round. I'm ready. Let's do it, man. What's the last game you finished? A Way Out. So I played It Takes Two, which is the new game 
Oh, so yeah, Hazel Light. Yeah, and then we game finished, of the year. Yeah, finished that, loved it. And so me and my buddy that played it, we just wanted more. And so we're like, oh, they did a way out. We never played it. And so we played a way out right after. Dude, you did that on like a Twitch stream. Like people can go look yeah, that up. I did that. Want. You can look that up on YouTube. Rad Dudes Rad Gaming. Rad Dudes Gaming. Yeah, my buddy <laughs> runs the channel. And so sometimes it's just him, but sometimes we play together. Sick, sick. What's the last book you read? I read... This sounds like egotistic. It's not. I read Press Reset. <laughs> <laughs> yo, it's a good book. <laughs> yo, if you if you give a shit at all about the video games industry, how games are made, how these teams make the decisions yeah, they make, Press Reset is a legit good read. I'll give it to that Jason Schreer. Before that, it was uh, it's the a big ass handbook, book. a professional practice, fifteenth ed- edition by the American Institute of Architects. I can't say that I read it cover to cover it's a textbook but i read a lot of it that's a college course right there yeah it is right like that's my thing man is you can you know that especially with the internet whatever they're teaching you at those colleges you could just go learn that (laughs) (laughs) just get the book yourself yeah well hell yeah hell yeah i like it they they don't control the books you just can go figure out what call how what textbooks calls you go buy those textbooks amazon has them if i were to say hey here's seven figures yep. and i give you like a two-year runway what would you build i want to make skate i would want to make a skate game nice if i could make if the question if what you're really saying is like hey if you could make anything you want to make or whatever yeah. you know like i would want to make a skate game and i'm glad that those guys are doing it and like i'll play it i'm super stoked but i have some ideas for skateboarding game i would like to and skate specifically like that franchise has yeah. done it the best i would like to make a skate game someday could you do it in two years yeah Okay. I can do it with all the stuff they have. Like most of my ideas are around the career mode and like just how the career mode is like structured. I have the same thing with like Madden, although Madden does it better now. It's like I always wanted to like you know that how Madden has that like face of the franchise mode where you're just like Yeah. I, I'd like to take a stab at one of those. What would you tell two thousand Zach if you can go back in time? Probably like chill out a little bit. <laughs> I, I was like a, a really like boisterous, like loud, and maybe that served me well in some cases. It I probably think didn't so. Served me well in others, you know. Like part of it is that when I started at EA and I was eighteen, I was also in a band, and so I was doing that whole like rock and roll party, you know, type of deal. Yeah, see a few guitars back there, a few amps. Yeah, some of that like leaked over into work. So like my first year, like I'd been there four months. They had yearly award for the QA department. I'd been there four months. I won the class clown award. Four months of the year, dude. I was there for a third of the year. You know, like maybe just chill out on that a little bit. You know, like maybe you'll be out of out of QA in three years instead of five years if you just like dial it back a little bit with the dial the personality back a little, buddy. It's interesting to look back and apply our kind of development hat to our career or our lives. I could look at it and be like, yo, man, at a rock solid career, you accomplish a lot of things and you continue to do so. Everything kind of panned out nicely. It's interesting to hear you look back and be like, yeah, but maybe I could have done it at a 2x rate. Last question I got for you. Tradition we got on the show is who would you nominate to fall out of the play area? Because what I want to say is Amy, but I don't have it like that. Like, I don't think that I have. I don't think I can hear you. I can definitely get her to answer my text messages. You know, like I I love Amy. We're cool. But could I get her to go on a podcast? I don't know. Because she's very private, right? She never does stuff like this. True, true, true. I mean, that's a consideration too, right? Like odds are you could get a hold of her. But how likely is she to accept? Because I think 
last I heard from her, I think she did one with the homie Ted Price at Insomniac. He has one called, what, The Game Maker's Notebook. And I think that's the mm-hmm. last time I heard from her. Which is probably someone she knows personally, right? Yeah. Like, and and yeah. I think it was probably for Dice. You know, they were they were all out there. And she probably comes on. And, and that's a, you know, more notable I want to see her on and I'll try. I'll try. But I'm Fair. like, it's hey. a very, like, I'm going to hit her up and be like, hey, I was on this podcast. He's <laughs> super awesome. It's a really chill conversation. You would enjoy it. What's up? And she's going to probably laugh at me. But I'm still going to try. <laughs> I would be super appreciative. Whatever, because here's the thing. It might just be a seed in there. She might even say no. But then, like, someone just puts a little water on that seed later. Later on. Later like on, eventually, happen. right? Like, I mean, we're, we're yeah. going to play the long game. We're going to get Amy Henning on here one day. I just got to pay my dues and get, right. get more notarized. Yeah, there you go. I appreciate you, Zach. I, I've had a blast chatting with you. Super happy that you put your life story out there for Jason so that people who read that book can learn and then be like, holy shit. At the time I was working at EA, I was like, yo, this guy, I got to reach out to him just, just to shoot the shit, just to learn about, yo, what was EA like back then and throw it out there to be like, yo, you want to come on the podcast? And it just worked out magically. I'm glad you reached out. I've been trying to like mash through all the episodes because I didn't know about the podcast before you hit me up. And I'm always like running my mouth about it's not like I listen to a lot of podcasts a lot and nope. a lot of the people, the voices in our industry are like media voices. Mm. Which that's cool. That's fine. Like I'm not knocking them, but like there's no like the Joe Rogan equivalent for game developers, which what I mean is like, hey, just like a long form where like game developers just tell their story. I wish we had that because all these podcasts I listen to, it's like media people telling their story. You know what mm. I mean? And so like I was stoked to like find out about your uh, your podcast. I think it's really cool. Dude, that's awesome to hear because that's totally what I set out to do was looking for filling a void that I, I couldn't find, right? Like yeah. I found, I've since found a handful, but it's very much that, you know, you have no shortage of talk to me about this game or this studio or this studio head, right? But very little about the people behind the scenes it, doing In things. other industry, you know, there's these like, you know, I'll listen to like a music podcast where they like dive into like a specific song or a specific album and tell like behind the scenes stories, right? Like we could do a, a show that's just about like one game and yeah. you could talk about one game for hours and hours and hours, right? And like that's stuff I want. I want to hear from people yeah. that are telling stories from games that I wasn't on. That's the cool stuff. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it is the main thing. Just keep doing it. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Hey, man, have a good rest of your evening. Yeah, you too. Thanks, John. If you read Press Reset, I hope you got some nuggets listening to our conversation. If you haven't and love hearing about these types of insider perspectives, I highly suggest you check it out. I managed to get my hands on it through my Libby app connected to the Seattle Public Library. In that interview, he goes much deeper on Star Wars 1313, aka Ragtag, and what made him want to leave EA and even then some. Since I've been editing this episode, I've really enjoyed sharing the tale of how he broke into the industry with a nice heap of lucky timing and being in the right place at the right time, walking into the studio the same day that they were onboarding a bunch of testers and managing to avoid the typical phone screenings. I don't know how many people I've told this story to, but it reminds me that one of my first interviews when I got out of Full Sail was supposed to be for a QA spot at EA Tiburon when I lived in Kissimmee, Orlando. I was told to be there at a certain day, certain time, and for whatever reason, I was ghosted. You know, nobody hit me back. I was just there waiting at the door, trying to get in, no one was there. 
Looking back on it, I'm glad it didn't work out because months later I would start as a game designer at Midway Austin and the rest is history. But what if? Luck favors the bold, as they say, and Zach definitely gives me that air of someone who's not shy to state their opinion in the name of greasing the wheels and getting things moving that may otherwise be stuck or at an impasse. If you check out his Moby games, he's got a healthy list of credits over his 16 plus year tenure at EA. And it's hard to overlook the fact that he was always jumping at any chance he got to connect or move on site when he went out to Montreal, for example, to go help out on Army of Two and some of the other projects. I've always commended those people, the ones that were, you know, ready to up and go out to the job to help whatever it took to get the thing out the door. I've seen this happen a bunch on Max Payne 3 when homies like Alicia Thayer reload from Rockstar San Diego to Vancouver or Warner Brothers Montreal when I see teammates get transferred to the Bay Area or Seattle at Monolith or work on another Realms project. I always dreamt of getting inside of Rocksteady to work with them when I was a Warner Brother. Even at EA, I had my sights set on a handful of projects, including Bioware, Full Circle in Vancouver, and Motive Montreal that, you know, I was trying to set up relationships so that I could get some full-time dedication on site. But that's a multiverse that I'm currently not in. You know, being that closer, being that, that story of the closer is, is a cryptic one that tends to err on the side of, you know, hard ass that is able to make the tough decisions against popular consensus. But Perhaps it isn't always the case and it doesn't need to be, especially when talking to Zach. That gives me a good vibe hearing that. I look forward to seeing what comes out next from the Wandering Band in the future. I swear I did not force him to say all those things about Epic that was completely on his own. I'm curious to hear about other listeners, how many of you are working on Unreal or have your game on the Epic Game Store or make money through the Marketplace or Fortnite Creative. On the next episode, number 33 of Out of Play Area, we sit down with Kent Hudson, my old Midway Austin colleague slash creative director on Criminal. He was nominated in episode 31 by Ben Ratime. We talk about his journey into development where he started in design in the early 2000s on Deus Ex and Thief at Ion Storm, and even how he put his own indie success in The Novelist to where he is today at Brass Lion Entertainment working out of Toronto as a design director. Major shout to Elaine Gomez from episode 22 for getting me in contact after what has been damn near over a decade since we last connected. That episode debuts in two weeks on Monday, May 23rd. Make sure to follow us so that you don't miss out on that episode. Thank you for listening, devs. If you found this episode informative, I ask that you pay a link forward to a developer to help grow our listener community. If you're a game developer with a story you think could help a fellow dev out, please go to outofplayarea.com and click on the Calendly link at the top to meet up. Please make sure you get approval from your manager or studio's PR or HR team beforehand. Out of Play Area, the Game Developers Podcast releases new episodes every other Monday on all the major players, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. Please make sure to follow us to see what developer falls out of the play area next time. I'm your host, John Diaz. Until next time, devs, stay strong, stay true, stay dangerous. Fight attendants, prepare for takeoff. Cabin crew, please take your seats. We are now about to enter the out-of-play area. Yeah. If you can't reach me, I apologize. Since we out of play, I never compromise. John D, NYC, know we got the vibe. Make sure you hit that five.
you hit subscribe. Out of play area podcast. Out of play area podcast. It's just a little something for the game devs. Stay strong, stay true, and stay dangerous. Had to switch the styles.